Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, we are back on another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. We are going to start with the Bucks today. Um... So we got Bucks, we got some Packers offensive line targets, and we are going to talk about Matt Areza as requested by several people. And then we are going to do the Brewers. So we're going to start with the Bucks. We're going to run through the Bucks, Celtics, and Cavs, um, and the Pistons games. And right before we start, I just want to mention, um, I did already mention that we're doing Packers offensive line targets. Next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, will be our live show at the Keel Parker Johns. So if you want to come and see, uh, we're just going to be doing a live draft show. So we'll probably go through some of the guys that we've talked about. We're going to do some mock drafts, and we're going to be hanging out at Keel Parker Johns and getting some good food. So um, if you're in the area, definitely come check us out and come hang out with us. But, uh, Jake, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm ready. I'm ready for this playoff series against the Bulls. Um, been talking all year, man. Uh, I wasn't afraid. Afraid of the Nets in the first round because that's what it looked like it was lining up to do. But my second option was the Bulls. We get four warm-up games, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see when we get to that how that yeah. how that actually looks because looking at the stat, it'll be interesting. We'll get to it. But let's start with the Bucks and Celtics game. Let's start with that one. Let's talk about that one first. Yeah, so Bucks and Celtics. That was actually a really really entertaining game. Uh, Marcus Smart. Um, and he was already a guy that was a Good player, but I feel like he's improved a lot this year as a leader and as a shooter, man. He made seven threes against us. Uh, that was a third of Boston's threes. They made 21 threes. And I know you've hit on it a couple of times, you know, even th- just this year where you talked about how, how teams have to have record-setting games or hit, you know, 18 to 20 threes to hang with us. That's how good we are. Imagine if they weren't hitting those threes. We're going to start blowing some people out. Um, but, yeah, they shot the ball very well, 20. 20- in one of 50, so they shot over 40% on the three-point line. But our big three showed up. I mean, even Book, uh, Brooke and Bobby showed up in this game. Uh, but Chris, Drew, Giannis, they all did their job. Uh, th- that's exactly what the playoffs is going to look like. So when I was debating Bucks versus Bulls with people, you know, because I know a couple Bulls fans out there in my stores that I work with, I was like, my buddy, I don't know if you watch my show, but my buddy Tyler says that they have no answer for Giannis. Giannis. So if you want to know what the playoffs is going to look like, it's going to look like Giannis, 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 Chris and Giannis, Drew and Giannis. That is exactly what the playoffs are going to look like. <laughs> if, if this is the basket, like yeah. all of their scoring is going to be done right here. Yep. They can all get to the paint whenever they want off the dribble. We run play. Yep. We run sets for them to catch the ball near the rim. I mean, that's just the name of the game. If, if you can't stop Giannis, then you let Drew and Chris do their thing and get comfortable. Here you are. <laughs> Dan, I see you in the comments. You better be at Keel Parker Johns next Thursday. Yeah, bro. All right. Oh, so looking at this Bucks and Celtics game, it was really interesting the way this game started off. Um, Celtics were getting a lot of transition baskets, um, but the Bucks were moving the ball well. So it was a lot of back and forth. Honestly, a lot of this game, there was a mm-hmm. lot of back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. Wesley Matthews really playing well. Um, 
took a three with like 20 seconds left in the shot clock. That one sobered me a little bit. But other than that, Wesley Matthews is playing really well. Um, Bobby comes in, scores six really quick points. Um, good to see him getting back in the groove. And then the just too many turnovers in, in the first quarter kind of kept the lead small. didn't let them push away. Um, yep, yep. And then, you know, Middleton just jumps an inbounds pass and gets a steal and an easy bucket. So Yeah, that was sick. Um, that's stuff like Dova that. Dova. If you, yeah, stuff like that. If you can do that and, and steal possessions, that's that's a big deal. Um, so, like we were going to talk about with the Bulls, the Bucks are doing really well in the paint, and the Celtics were hitting threes. Um, in my opinion, the question comes up is, what are the Bucks going to do to stop other teams from getting wide open threes? What they were doing in this game that was giving Boston so many open looks is they were going under screens. So that's going to be something when the Bucks turn up their defensive intensity, which they will do in the playoffs every game yes. and not just in the fourth quarters or the third quarters when they're down, yep. Yep. is they're going to go over those screens. Yep. And that's going to be all day, every day in the playoffs. It's not only going to be when they're down or when the fourth quarter rolls around. They're going to do that to start, and it's going to be playoff intensity throughout the entire game. Um, Giannis is doing a really good job driving hard to the rim and then finishing soft. So Giannis yep. uses his body, uses his strength, and then he just puts that little finger roll and he just sets the ball right in the basket. And then Drew Holiday to Brooke Lopez right before the half. They get the alley-oop. Brooke goes up and gets it. Um, just a really well-executed play right before the half. Then you get to the second half, and Marcus Smart is playing like Jason Tatum. Just yeah. making everything. Um, and then he's he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. He is. He's but, a vocal leader. Yes. Uh, the Bucks did end this game on a 9 to nothing run. So third and fourth quarter. Um, yes, James, you're correct. No Tatum, no Horford. Um, the fourth quarter was third and fourth quarter, really. A lot more back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Marcus Smart is not going to win defensive player of the year. He's probably going to finish third. Third, if I yep. had to guess, uh, it's going to be Giannis, Michael Bridges, and then um, and then Marcus Smart and Rudy Gobert yep. probably fourth. Yep. Okay. So looking at this game, Bucks won nineteen to nine on fast break points, fifteen or fourteen to five on second chance points, fifty-eight to thirty-four on points in the paint. That is that's that's massive. So, um. James, I know not having Robert Williams is a big deal also. He's one of your best interior defenders. But um, even still, I mean, Giannis, 29, 11, 5, and two steals. Chris Middleton, 22 points, eight rebounds, nine assists, two steals. Drew Holiday, 29 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, and three steals. Now, I put all these out here. My stat of the week last week, the big three, those big three became the first trio since steals became an officially tracked stat to have 20-plus points, 8-plus rebounds, 5-plus assists, and 2-plus steals in the same game. That's nuts, dude. That's that how is, good this big three is, man. That's that's a big three. So that, and then you had Brooke Lopez's 15-7, and seven, Bobby Portis's 17-7, and seven, and he was 3-4 yep. three on threes. Um Daniel Tice will not go three for three on threes very often, so you live with that. You let him shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, other than that, 15 to 21 on free throws isn't great. Six missed free throws is whatever. Um, the 11 turnovers, that's not bad. I can live with that. And they only mm-hmm. allowed eight offensive rebounds. So for fundamental failures, six missed free throws, 
points off turnovers and five second chance points is 22. That's really low. I know it's cold down here and I got cinder block walls and stuff does not like to stick. Um, yeah, I got cinder block walls too. That's why I can't stick anything in the walls either. I know. One of these days I'm just going to move all my furniture around and then um, just drill a bunch of holes in the wall. Yes, Josh did bring this up. This was after this was before Friday's game. They waived DeAndre Bembry, who is out of the season with his torn ACL. Um, I think he had ACL and MCL, but they mm-hmm. cleared a roster spot and they signed Rajon Tucker from the Wisconsin Herd. Um, he he actually ended up too. getting a lot of he actually ended up getting a lot of playing time on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll get to that, but let's talk about the Bucks and Pistons game first. Oh, first of all. Uh... Uh, Giannis was dunking on everybody. I don't know how the hell on a, a night of back-to-back, and then you go on the road, and you played a really tough game against the Celtics team. It was a pretty good Celtics team. I mean, they're the two-seed for a reason. Um, and you just got those hops. The guy's athleticism is unmatched in this NBA, and it, you're in a league full where athleticism is on full display every night, and we have the guy who's the most athletic. Sorry that if you don't like that, I'm sorry. But he's seven feet tall, and he moves like a guard. Handles like a guard. He's he's amazing. Um, he had 30, 13, and 8. Uh, the Pistons, I, I want to say about the Pistons, they kind of remind me of the Lions a little bit and the way where they're like, they're bad. They're young, and you can tell that they're improving. Towards the end of the season, the Pistons really started playing some decent basketball. They were hanging in games with teams. I know they got absolutely demolished in this game, 131 to 101. So, I mean, you're going against the defending champs, though. This is the best team in the league. That Pistons, that rise of the Pistons it, it coincides with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, and Cade Cunningham has been playing some good basketball. He's gonna be a pretty good player, I think. Um, man, there's a lot of really young talent. The rookie of the year race is actually pretty interesting. Cade Cunningham at the end of the season might have been the best rookie in my opinion, but yeah, Mobley, Mobley, Mobley being on yeah. a team that's probably gonna end up in the playoffs, and he was kind of a big deal for that is a reason that he'll win it. I mean, being a big man, I think it's easier to win the rookie of the year because you can put up those double doubles. Stats, in my opinion, a point guard's a little tougher. He's a good defender too, though. Yeah, there's so many good point guards in the league, and you have to deal with going through screens and shooting well. And there's just a lot that goes into it. But uh, pretty weird that Middleton only had one rebound and one assist for the whole game. Yeah, that is weird. I was like, that's weird. (laughs) Like he didn't have to do a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying anything bad, but uh, Drew Holiday, ten three and seven or nine. Uh, Brooke Lopez, back to back good scoring outings. He had 17 in this game. Uh, Bobby didn't shoot well in this game, but he ended up collecting, I believe, 15 rebounds. 15 rebounds. He had seven so, in the first – or nine. Nine in the first quarter. In the first quarter, I texted you. I'm like, Giannis is on pace for 28 rebounds, and yep. Bobby's on pace for 36. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, it was just a, a Bucks team who is much better than a Pistons team is what it ended up being, even on that back end of a back-to-back. Now, people are going to talk, why did they play – to back and then they didn't play against the Cavs. Well, my reasoning, I think, is they still had a chance to fall to the four seed, I believe, on Friday. And I don't think they wanted to fall to the four seed. So I think they guaranteed themselves either the two or three seed. And then once they did that, they were like, okay, we can let them get a little bit extra rest before before the mm-hmm. playoffs start. So that's the reasoning that they played against the Pistons. Uh, plus, the Pistons aren't as good as the Cavs. So you give them, give them some free run. It's kind of like a like a, just just a free run. Uh, let them stretch their legs, not get not get rusty, and we move on to the the Cavaliers. Yeah, and you know the the Cavaliers probably gonna be playing a little bit harder because they were fighting yep. um, to try to get up higher. So looking at this game, 
Grayson Allen sat out to rest his hip. Hopefully he's good to go for the playoffs. Um, playing every other night and then having some extra rest days in there should help, especially not playing until Sunday night. Yeah. Um, looking at this game, ball is moving quickly. This is what I want to see when we get to the playoffs. I want to see the ball moving quickly like it did at the beginning of this game, off the dribble and off the pass. Everywhere the ball was going, where everybody was going, the ball was moving quickly. Yeah. No no back to the basket dribbling because that's where the Bucks get into trouble. That's where they turn the ball over is when they're dribbling too much. They spend too much time dribbling. Somebody comes and picks their pocket. You dribble with a purpose or you pass. Whatever you're doing, do it quickly. Keep the ball moving. The Bucks are really successful when that ball is moving. 30-8 to eight after the first quarter. And after seeing so many people complain on Thursday night about Budenholzer's system that allows teams to shoot three-pointers, crickets after the first game or after the first quarter of that Pistons game. The Pistons started 0 for 14 on threes. Yikes. Not a secret that the Bucks won both of these games, but you can win these games. I will, I will die on this hill that it's better to let an opponent make five threes out of 10 shots than it is to let them make eight dunks out of 10 shots. And that's if an opponent shoots 50% on threes. You're giving up 16 points versus 15. Well, it's easy math. If you also take into consideration that if your teams are just getting dunks and getting in the lane, they're in a better better rhythm. So you're probably turning the ball over for one, or you're taking bad shots, or you're not getting uh, back on defense, or you're not. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying with or, bad shots. Or say, say you take off, a bad shot. Yeah, or you're giving up offensive rebounds. I mean, it could be any of those things. I mean, if you want examples of this, you could watch the 2022. Los Angeles Lakers because they were horrible on every aspect. <laughs> I'm sorry, Isaac, but they were bad. I watched well, I, I watched well, a lot of Lakers games. They were on ESPN a lot. They were on TNT yeah. a lot. Uh, the Knicks, the same thing. You could watch the Knicks games. They gave up a lot of big runs. It was just it's bad basketball. The other thing, too, is when you're giving up layups and dunks, the ball is going through the basket for the team. That just builds their confidence and their momentum, too. True. So, you know, yeah, making threes is fun, but – you know, a team, the NBA average is probably somewhere around 35%. So 35 out of 100 threes, that's 135 points. Guarantee you the average on dunks and layups is probably around that 70% mark, which is going to give you about 140-ish points if it's not higher than 70% versus 135. Facts. I, I, I mean, I, I simple math. That's what I got. Okay. So, Bucks got a little bit sloppy in the first five minutes of the second quarter. Some turnovers let Detroit go on a little bit of a run to cut the lead down to eight. Uh, Rodney Magruder started making threes. But they weren't – during that, they weren't boxing out, and they were committing turnovers. Those two things let the Pistons back in. But they tightened up the next four minutes, got back to doing what they were doing in the first quarter, the lead back up to 18 at halftime. Second half, I this it was really, really apparent to me in this game that the Brooke Lopez connection with Giannis in the post is actually a really underrated part of the Bucks offense. I've been dude, I literally have been saying that for weeks. I mean, okay, but <laughs> just hear me out. Hear me out why I'm gonna explain this. So Giannis gets into the paint and he's probably got at least four sets of eyes on him, if not yep. five. Uh-huh. Giannis, like if this is a defender, Giannis is working that wraparound pass probably four times in the third quarter of this game. Dude, and Brooke dunked the hell out of Kate Cunningham. He put his little ass in the hoop, bro. 
So that that Giannis, you know, I've, I apologize if you've been saying it for weeks and weeks, but I mean, the, it's really, really apparent in this game that the Giannis to Brooke Lopez paint connection, post connection, played a strong part in this. The Bucks just like calculated and methodical, getting to the basket at will in the third quarter. Um, Wesley Matthews and George Hill quietly playing very well. Both of them playing very good yeah. defense. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't meaning to come after you on that. I meant like <laughs> league wide, man. Like I don't think people really respect and understand and how good Giannis and Brooke are. That connection down low is secretly, in my opinion, one of the reasons why the Bucks are that good on offense and defense. Because Brooke knows when to be there, oh, definitely when to cut. He, yep. he, know, he knows when to come in on that weak side. He knows when to go to the corner. He knows when to be on top, you know, to spread the floor for Giannis. On defense, obviously, they understand positioning. Uh, Brooke knows when to, you know, put his hands up so Giannis can get the rebound. He, we always talk about how him, be, him being the the box out king, Brook and Giannis together, dude. It's it's good, man. I'm t- telling dude, you, it's so good. This. You put you put the difference between Brook Lopez and Bobby Portis. When Bobby Portis comes in, your entire defensive scheme has to change because Brook Lopez he can stand out on the three point line, spread the floor, but he also knows when to sneak in behind the defense and go for a dunk or a layup. Drew Holiday, yep. Chris Milton, and Giannis can all find him when he's sneaking behind the defense like that, and they yep. all do. Yeah, Middleton will hit him with a bounce pass. Drew will throw a lob to him, and Giannis does that wraparound. All three of those guys can find Brooke when he's cutting back to the back of the basket. When you got Bobby Portis, he's your safety valve, so everybody can drive downhill at the rim. Bobby Portis is just camped out at the top of the three-point line just waiting for a shot that he shoots like 42% on when he's mm-hmm. wide open at the top of the key. And Bobby Portis is also an offensive rebound guy. So you got like a really good yin-yang thing with Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis. And you got Sergi Baca just patiently waiting behind him. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, pretty good position to be in. It's a good fourth wheel right there, man. Good fourth <laughs> wheel. The Bucks. So they're in great position. That you got our Wisco Fanatics play of the week, which was Giannis dunking on Kelly Olynyk, and the Bucks won by thirty despite shooting eleven for thirty-seven on threes. You know, I'm gonna say everybody complained about Lisa Byington as the commentator out here, but it was really <laughs> nice to see her. Or actually kind of, it felt like she kind of went out of her, like came out of her own skin kind of, and she took Total on emotion. Yeah. She showed Jim Paschke, you know, emotion where she's like, Oh, <laughs> it's like, that's what I'm working for. Man, Cause that's how I felt during that play. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so Jake mentioned the 30, 13 and eight by Giannis. Four of the five starters were in double figures. Wesley Matthews had nine. Um, George Hill had 10. Pat Connaughton had 10. Sergi Baca had eight. Bobby Portis, eight points, 15 rebounds. Fundamental failures, only three missed free throws, only seven second chance points, and only 11 points off turnovers. The Bucks only turned the ball over eight times. Combines for 21 fundamental failure points, even less than the Celtics game. So very solid game all the round for the Bucks, despite shooting 11 for 37 on threes, which was a little ugly, but they got it yeah. done. Yep. Okay, so now we're looking at the Bucks-Cavs game. This is really... I mean, might as well have been a G League game, basically, because that's pretty much had preseason feel. Had preseason feel, man. Sure. Yep. So Drew came in for eight seconds to get his bonus. Um, he had a games played and a rebound per game bonus. So that's you know that's a, a class act by the Bucks organization. Yeah. And Mike Budenholzer to let him go in, collect mm-hmm. his bonus, and then sit the rest of the game. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Wesley Matthews, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Grace and Allen, George Hill, 
Pat Connaughton and Sergi Baca all sat this game out. The aforementioned Rajon Tucker got a ton of playing time. Jordan Wara, um, Javon Carter played a lot. Lindell Wigginton played a lot. And this was this is the Mamu Kalashvili come out night, as far as the Looker. NBA is concerned. Um, I also want to throw out this this game right here. It goes to show that even the dudes on the end of the bench in the NBA would literally smoke anybody at your local YMCA that thinks the people on the end of the bench are trash. I don't know why that's even a debate. Dude, I, the people I, on the end of the G League bench would smoke <laughs> you in the YMCA. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. They so play for the people, every day. And, and people that want to say Thanasis is only on the team or only on an NBA roster because he's Giannis's brother, like he'd be on somebody else's roster if he wasn't on the Bucks. He's a good player. I mean, to throw around 27 points on 9 of 14 field goals, 8 of 10 at the free throw line, 5 rebounds and 2 assists. I mean, all, against a playoff team, too, for that yeah. matter. And on top of that, he's always standing during the game. He's always cheering, always encouraging. He leads the bench mob. So that bleeds into the rest of the roster. You know what I mean? That enthusiasm bleeds into the rest of the roster. We talked about this going into the playoffs last year. Thanasis is, you know, he's a great, great teammate. I love having him on this team. You could tell the yep. mentality on this team has changed oh, since yeah. he's been on the roster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I'm going to say this again because we talked about this a lot during last year's playoffs. Mm-hmm. If there is seven seconds left on a quarter clock, so there's seven seconds left at the end of the first quarter, and the Bucks are playing, so the Bucks are playing the Bulls the first round. Say there's seven seconds left on the on the clock in the first quarter. Put the Nassus on DeMar DeRozan for seven seconds. Let him get in. Let him just climb into DeMar DeRozan's jersey, like right here, and either make his last shot at the end of the quarter tough, give him a hard foul, frustrate him, irritate nope. him. If you have a foul, let, let, give. Dude, Thanasis yeah. is beautiful for that situation. Man. And, and he will go in there and he will play, because he knows he's only going to be in for those seven seconds. He will go and play with 175% energy. That's perfect. Perfect. You're like, hey, Thanasis, we got a foul to give. I want you to be physical. You have seven seconds. Do not let him yep. get to this spot and this spot. Okay. Do that. Get, it, get as close to him as humanly possible. If you follow him, doesn't matter. Yep, that and that's perfect. That's, that's a perfect situation for him. Yeah, exactly. So we brought it up last year. I know we did it during the Nets series because they did it. Um, they did it at like the end of a half. They put him on KD and to go in and frustrate him. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there. Getting back yes. to Mamu, Mamu Kelishvili, twenty-eight points, thirteen rebounds, six for six. On free throws, 13 rebounds, four assists, two for five on threes. I mean, if he can add some some defense and, like, a little bit more muscle, like, he's going to be Greg Monroe with a three-point shot and better passing. And a handle. Because he, he, got, a handle. A, he got a couple of rebounds and brought the ball off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Imagine I mean, pairing that with like, Giannis. You know, if he can – if he can improve just steadily defensively and if he can, you know, the only, the only difference that is going to be is court vision, but like, we might be looking at like a Nikola Jokic light. Whoa. I mean, he's got, he's like I said, he's got a way to go on the passing aspect, Mm -hmm. but shooting, rebounding, he can score. He's showing that he can score at all three levels. 
he can rebound if he just gets a little more defensively. And then he's obviously like Nikola Jokic's court vision is fantastic. But yeah, like everything else. You I know, mean, you know the the first part of that is that he's a willing passer. First of all, he's right. kind of a pass first passer. If you think about it, he doesn't look to score first. He kind of looks right. to set up his teammates. So in that in that aspect, he is like Jokic, where he looks to pass and set up his teammates and make everybody better. But if he, you know, in my opinion, because he's limited athletically, so he's never going to just out athletic people, kind of right. like Giannis does. But if he right. gets a little bit better touching that three pointer, or if he really develops a turnaround J. You know, from the post, he could turn into a really, really nice player. He, he could end up being a steal of a draft, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I might have to revisit this in, like, two years. And then, you know, in 2024 mm-hmm. when when Mamu's, you know, the sixth man of the year or whatever, I'll come <laughs> back to this and I'll be like, look what I said in 2022 right before the Bucks bulls series. <laughs> All right. So, rest of this game, Jordan Wara, 24 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Javon Carter had a Kind of a rough game, one for eleven, but he added six rebounds, five assists. Lindell Wigington, eighteen and eight, and then Rajon Tucker, fresh off the Milwaukee, not the Milwaukee, the Wisconsin herd, playing for the Milwaukee Bucks, fifteen points, three for three at the three-point line, four rebounds, four assists, and two steals. I'll take hey, that. Tucker. Tucker's been in the league a couple times. Uh, he was on the herd, and he got picked up by the Jazz. I believe this is twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. And then he was on the, the 76ers, actually. I went to the 76ers game last year um, with my stepson and my girlfriend. Um, that was their first ever Bucks game, and he was actually on the Sixers roster at that time. Um, and then the Herd picked him back up, and now he made it onto the Bucks. So this is a yeah, guy that's, that's they, played NBA minutes before. I think they signed him to a multi-year deal, too, so he'll be on the team next season. Yeah, he's he's the all-time leading scorer for the Wisconsin Herd, if you didn't know. He just, he just did that uh, – the game before that I went. I went to my first herd game um, with my stepson. My girlfriend won tickets, and he was the all-time leading scorer. So I started following them on Instagram, and they were tagging him and everything when he was outside to the Bucks and when he scored. And I'll tell you what, this guy can fly. Go watch, go watch some YouTube highlights of this guy dunking because he can fly. All right. You got anything else about those three games? Uh, no. I'm ready to talk about our next four games, and then we'll get a rest all right, well, and... we got to do one more thing first. Yes, sir. All right, you want me to go first or you want to go first? You go first, you go first. All right, well, first one is super easy. It's Giannis. 29.5 yep. points, 12 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 2 steals, 54% from field goals, and 78.2% on free throws. Giannis was an easy choice. Yep, uh, I also have Giannis. Um, he also won the Eastern Conference Player of the Month, if you didn't know that for the ninth time in ninth time in his career. So uh congratulations to Giannis. It's too bad he's gonna end up being second place in the MVP voting. Yeah. Who's your, who's your second player, buddy? Who's your second one? I stole your first one. You, who's your second one? I have Brooke Lopez. Uh he was hey, me too. Go he ahead. was he was very <laughs> consistent. Um he averaged sixteen points. Obviously we know the paint defense that he always plays. Um and you know just I just want to say this has nothing to do with stats, but since he's been back, the Bucks look like the Bucks, in my opinion. We watched them all year. Uh, me and you talked about it when he was going to come back. It kind of just pushed people into their normal spots. They're their getting their roles. Yeah, they're they're getting their 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 shots that they're used to. Their rhythm jumpers. He sets good screens. He rolls. You know, he pops. Brook Lopez is. He is to the Bucks what I feel like a guy on the Packers. Let me see. 
like Aaron Jones is to the Packers. Like if we lose Aaron Jones, that's a lot of our offense. He, he's versatile. He he can catch the ball. He can run the ball. Uh, he's a yeah. good pass blocker. We can run screens with him. I mean, the, it's just options are endless what we can do with Aaron Jones, and that's how I feel about Brooke Lopez. He changes a lot of stuff for this team offensively and defensively. Yeah, I was saying, like, Aaron Jones, you use him in the pass game and the run game. Brooke Lopez, yeah. you use him on offense and defense. And he's inside and outside. Inside and outside, you know, so. That's fair. All right, yeah, my other one was Brooke Lopez as well. He also averaged five and a half rebounds, 51.8% on field goals, and 50% on threes in the games. So, Brooke Lopez James, was also my other one. James, I'm putting this out there right now because I don't think it's going to happen. I actually think the Nets are going to beat you. But if the Celtics win – you got to come on this show and you got to talk with us about about this Buck Celtics series. Um, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> uh, if you beat the Nets, which I again I don't see happening, your reward is the defending champion. So congratulations on that. <laughs> I thought like whatever happens in that series, I don't care who wins, just go seven games. Yep, just go seven games. Complete the living hell, like beat the living hell out of each other. Compete. Play hard. I hope it's seven really, really hard games. And then I hope the Bucks win by 30. <laughs> Every game. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because I do I really think that that Nets Celtics series is gonna go seven games. Mm-hmm, I do too. I think this Bucks Bulls series is gonna take three less. I think dude, I bet a hundred dollars the other day that it was gonna go that we were gonna sweep them. I was like, bro, we are going to sweep them. I was they stand so- no chance. My X factor for this series is Zach Levine. When I was originally looking at this series, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I think I'm going to say Bucks in five just on the chance that Zach Levine gets super hot in one game. And then I started breaking it down. I looked at all four of the games that the Bucks and the Bulls have played so far this year, looking what the Bucks do against the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And what I said before this season even started and when the Bulls were up in the first place because they were just beating bad teams and not beating good teams, I'm going to say again what I said then. Jake has echoed my sentiment. I'm going to say it again. The Bulls do not have anyone to defend Giannis. They even brought in Tristan Thompson, and Giannis is still too strong for him. Tristan Thompson. That guy hasn't been good for, like, ever. <laughs> so let's, let's, look at, let's look at the Bucks and the Bulls. What's up, Taylor? Let's look at the Bucks and the Bulls. When we get to it, I want to know your X Factor. I want to break down the averages from the games they've played. And I want to give two keys that I have in this Bucks and Bulls series. So let's get it going. All right. So here we go, Bucks Bulls. The Bucks won the season series 4-0. to uh, The first game, game one, was a really low-scoring kind of throwback game. It was 94-90, back and forth. Uh, game two was 118-112. Game three, 126, 98, and game four, 127, 106. So when you hear those scores, what's the trend that, that you hear? And I hope it's the same thing that I hear. The Bucks figured out the Bulls. That's what I heard. Uh, because every game went like this, to this, to this, to this. Because there is no chance that the Bulls beat the Bucks. The only chance that they have, my X factor for the Bulls, is DeRozan. He is the best player on that team, so it was a pretty easy choice for me. Uh, last game when we were – can't wait for this series. Me either, my man. Um, this this last game, uh, DeRozan actually dropped 40. And Tyler, you know, said it after the last game that he texted me and he said that DeRozan is going to drop 50 and, and still get an L. And that's exactly how I, how I felt too. I was like, he's probably going to drop 50, but he's going to get a loss. And, you know, Bulls fans were like, oh, yeah, he dropped 50 on you. I'm like, 
okay. They're, they're still, still saying lost, that. Bro. They're still saying that about forty. They're like, oh, you draw forty on you. Okay, congratulations. Yeah, you got a lot of garbage, garbage Ooh, time. Lost. <laughs> so, what I did is I broke down Giannis, Chris, and Drew. I broke, I broke down all their games, all their field goals, their three point field goals, uh, rebounds, assists, and then I did their averages. So Giannis this year against against the Bulls, he did what he does against everybody: twenty seven points, thirteen and a half rebounds, five assists. He shot fifty six percent on twos and only twenty two percent on threes. He was two of nine. Chris Middleton, he averaged 19 points, almost seven rebounds, and six assists. He didn't sh- he didn't shoot threes very well against them, but he only shot tw- 29%. But he shot 49% from the field. So he he his the first game that 94-90 game he was six of 15. So I think that brought down his average a little bit. But he improved the next two games, 22 six and seven in game two. He didn't play the third game, and then the fourth game, 19 four and five. He was a good player. That's what Chris does. Drew Holiday. Now let me tell you, Drew Holiday. He loves playing against the Bulls. He played real well. He shot well. He played good defense. He did everything. He shot behind the backboard against them. That was his last one. <laughs> um, he averaged 21 points, 4.6 rebounds, 8.3 assists. He shot 55% from the field and 43% behind the three-point line. Drew Holiday likes playing against the Bulls. And my X factor, actually, for against the Bulls, Yes, Giannis is going to do what Giannis does. My X factor is Drew Holiday. Because it just seems like this year, and I'm not taking anything away from Chris because Chris can still do that. We saw that in the playoffs. But it seems like this year, whenever the Bucks need a three, Drew Holiday dribbles the ball up, gets a screen from Giannis, and does the step back. Dude, that step back is so it's, nasty. It is so smooth, baby. Oh, my goodness. He, and you said it last week, and I'm going to say it every week until it happens now. He needs to put a patent on that damn step back, dude. Because that is freaking filthy um true holiday though he's he's the x factor against the bulls and because the bulls are thin at, at point guard and kobe white is really going into his first he's going into his first playoffs uh same thing with uh Levine and DeRozan. it's his first time in the playoffs as really the leader i think uh i think that drew holiday is going to have a very big mismatch and he's going to have some big games so I agree with you, Taylor. I do remember that. I think that was 2015, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Bucks and the Bulls series, where the Bucks were the eight seed and the Bulls were the one seed. That was 2015. Um, yeah, the Bucks. What the Bucks stole a game, and then the and then the Bulls won the yep. last one by like 40. So 50. Got it. Yeah, was it okay? So we got a little opportunity for some revenge here. So what I did was I Jake did the player stats for all the games. I went and did team stats. Mm-hmm. So, team stats for the Bucks and the Bulls head-to-head series. The Bucks, fifty point one percent on field goals. The Bulls, forty-three point one percent. Credit that how you want. Bulls bad shooting, which was part of it. Bucks good defense, also part of it. Three-point percentage. Now, this is where a big disparity comes in. It's, I mean, it's not big percentage-wise, but it was during some of the games. So the Bucks. 40 for 120 on threes, 33.3%. The Bulls, 39 for 130, 30%. Now, this happened a few times in this like series during the regular season where the Bucks weren't shooting well on threes, the Bulls weren't shooting well on threes. The Bulls kept shooting them. The Bucks decided to go work in the paint. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks won all four games. Mm-hmm. Free throw percentage, this is going to be one of my keys. One of my keys is going to be to keep Chicago off the free throw line. Because they shoot it well. So the Bucks 74.5% on free throws. The Bulls are a little over 80%, 80.3%. So one of my keys is keeping the Bulls off the free throw line. Mm-hmm. 
The Bucks shot way more free throws, but the Bucks also spend a lot more time in the paint, whereas Chicago spends a lot more time in the mid-range and perimeter, thanks to DeRozan and Levine. Assists per game, the Bucks 24.5, the Bulls 22.3, so the Bucks spreading the ball around a little bit better. Um, the Bulls playing a little bit more isolation. Mm-hmm. Rebounds, this is a big disparity in some of the games, especially the third one on March 22nd, the 126-98 win. The Bucks out-rebounded the Bulls 53-33. to so for the, whole, for the whole four series, the whole four games, the Bucks averaged fifty point eight rebounds. The Bulls averaged forty one. There, there's the difference right there. That's <laughs> oh, also that, that's also. I got a reason. better one for you. Oh, I got I'm a better ready. one for you. Ready, oh, okay, steals the book. The Bucks averaged five. The Bulls averaged six. Blocks, Bucks averaged five and a half. Bulls average three. Oof. The Bulls interior defense is in for a long series. Well, when you think about it, right? Who do they really have as a big man? I know they just brought in Tristan Thompson. They have Vucevic. Tristan Thompson, it's Vucevic, and it's probably Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. Okay, so when you think about that. Maybe Patrick Williams. Are any of those guys good enough to stop Giannis? No. Or Brooke Lopez. Or Bobby Portis. And then then I was going to say, you go to the next game. Brooke Lopez drops 28 and the reason he does that is because Vucevic has to worry about a Greek freak running at him who could dunk on him. And then Giannis just jumped down, dumped down, dumped and, down, dumped down. And, and then Vucevic on the other end was 3 for 19 in that game. He was pressing, man. He's getting his ass whooped on his home court. <laughs> we smacked the hell out of him, bro. So, last thing, turnovers. The Bucks averaged 12.3. The Bulls averaged 10.3. Again, when you're not spreading the ball around as much, you're playing a lot more isolation. You're mm-hmm. just shooting more contested shots than you are trying to pass the ball around. So, all right. Here's some good stuff. This is good stuff. These are my favorite three things. Well, I shouldn't say my favorite three because the points off turnovers isn't a huge disparity. Bulls average 13.5 points off turnovers. The Buck average 11.8 points off turnovers. So not a huge disparity there. Second chance points. This is my second favorite one. The Bulls average only 8.3 second chance points in those four games. Oh, God. The Bucks averaged 14.5. That makes up for the free throws right there. Here's my favorite thing. This is my favorite thing. My last key is points in the paint. This is disgusting. The Bucks averaged 51 and a half points in the paint. The Bulls averaged 35 and a half. Jesus. 16 dis- point disparity in points in the paint between the Bucks and the Bulls. Jesus. 16. Jesus. Keep shooting mid ranges, Damar. The Bucks are just going to dunk and lay up their way to a sweep. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you watch these games and you're actually a fan, I don't care if you're Bucks, if you're Bulls, you know that the Bucks are a better team. Um, even when I was talking and I made the bet with the Bulls fan, he was like, the Bulls are probably going to steal one. And if they're going to steal one, it's going to be game one because the Bucks will be a little bit rusty. Once the Bucks get into the rhythm of the playoffs, they're going to come into your house and they're going to spank the hell out of you I mean, for all of Chicago. That's basically what happened in the Miami series last year. Yep. They, Miami almost stole it. It went into overtime. Middleton hit the game winner. Miami was shooting well, really well at the three-point line that game. That's mm. what Chicago is going to need. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, Zach Levine is the only player on that team that concerns me behind the three-point line. Kobe White is improved. Uh, DeRozan I, I still only. I think he's overrated. I thought Kobe White was overrated. Oh, he is. Uh, uh, DeRozan only shoots corner threes because he's a mid-range guy. Hey, um, I don't. Caruso I mean, is Caruso like... is streaky. He can hit a one or two. Uh, he's not really a shooter. He's more of a. 
He's kind of a combo guard on offense. He can handle the ball and set you up, but he plays defense. That's what he's known for. Yep. Um, I don't know, man. They don't really have a lot of shooting, and they have no interior defense, so they just they stand zero chance. <laughs> They're not winning the series. I know that. If they steal the game, they steal the game. It is what it is. I'm not going to be too upset about it, but we're going to win I, I this was, series. I was really thinking this was going to be a 4-1 to one series win until I got to that point in the paint. 51 and a half to 35 and a half. (laughs) (sighs) That's bad. Well, you want to know something on the season, the, the bulls actually gave up more points per game than they averaged on offense. They, they, I mean, it's close. They gave, they averaged giving up 112 and they scored 111. So, so their defense is just, it's not great. It's, it's, they only average 7.1 steals. So they don't cause a lot of turnovers. Uh, three point percentage. I mean, Bucks and Bulls—they both shoot pretty, good, pretty good percentages. Uh, they're both around 35, 36 uh, percent turnovers. They're both around 12. The the big difference is the interior defense. That's really what it comes down to. Um, I believe I believe it's the case that the Bulls are the only team that did not have a winning record on the road either. I should have looked into that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um. <laughs> so this is now the case too. The Bucks are fifteen and one in their last sixteen games against the Bulls. Yep. And I think I think the all time series, the Bulls are ahead by like two, I believe. From huh. what I saw. I think it was like two hundred to one. I don't, I don't know if the count to that though. Do they? Playoffs I don't know. I know they don't count towards individual statistics, so it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't for well, either way, record. the Bucks are gonna take the lead in the season series next year. So Yeah. And you guys are the yeah. Jordan era. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always say, I always say this about the Bulls. Outside of the Jordan era, there is nothing to talk about with the Bulls. Nothing. They had a couple good years with Derrick Rose. Outside of that, they were terrible. They were terrible leading up to Derrick Rose. They were terrible after. They were pretty good this year. They're average, in my opinion. I still believe them to be a below average team. But I, I've been on the pretender train for the bulls the entire season because they did they literally did not ever beat a good team yeah agreed i just don't see it Uh, well (laughs) uh my mindset is already on either the celtics or the nets personally it's on the nets i think the nets are going to win that series i think it'll be good because the nets don't play a lot of defense and the celtics deep team they're not a deep team the dude, KD and Kyrie are gonna have to play like forty minutes a game. They're they, probably gonna play more than that. Honestly, I'd be they, around forty-five if I. Had they to. are going to be exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben Simmons posted on his Instagram today, just looking at his shoes, like, "Oh, I'm coming back." Oh, okay, congratulations. Uh, I'm really scared of you not shooting a layup, you six ten pussy. Yeah, I'm saying that out loud. Ben Simmons, you giant puss. I'll say it to your face. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. And now, now. The thing is with that too, even if he comes back, what chemistry do you have with KD and Kyrie? And he's going to dribble the ball and you're going to take the ball out of KD, Kyrie's hands? People are already complaining that Kyrie's taking the ball out of KD's hands. What is Ben Simmons on offense without the freaking ball? <laughs> he's just a tall guy. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what Seriously. He, he might as well just leave him past half court if you're not going to have him bring the ball Seriously. and initiate your offense. And if he's Ben not Simmons stand in... in the corner and make threes, he's not going to no. stand top of the key and make no. threes. He's not going to out muscle anybody in the paint for offensive rebounds. 
No. And and if you have Drummond on the floor, that just takes away your spacing. So now you have Drummond and Simmons on the floor. You're going to have KD and Kyrie who can shoot. Okay, so you just you worry about that. That's always gonna, your main focus face, with them anyways. You're going to face guard KD and Kyrie and then pack the paint. You're, you're going to you're going to play off of Simmons and Drummond. That's just how it works. I'm sorry. And the Nets being one and done every possession. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I want the Nets personally, I do, because I I want us to beat them because it it won't feel right if we win the title and we don't face the Nets. Is all I'm going to say. If we win the title, I'll still be happy. I mean, I got the championship hat on today. It's t- it's back-to-back season, baby. So let's do this shit, man. I'm ready for the Nets. Celtics, sorry, James. I just don't see it happening. Like I said, I personally don't care. Just beat each other up for seven games. I don't even care. I don't Agreed. even care who wins. Agreed. And I want to know what revenge game Taylor is referring to. I know we went, we played them a couple years in a row. Remember playoff fun? That was back in those days, man. Uh, playoff fun. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we had the gentleman sweep on them in 2019, so. Uh-huh. So, I'm, I'm good was when, Boston. That was when Kyrie was there. Oh, yeah, I think he's talking about 2018, the year before that, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, is. we got him on the gentleman's sweep in the second round in yeah. 2019, I think, so I'm good on the Boston series. Playoff fun. <laughs> playoff deli, Delova Delova, dude. Dude, playoff Delova. Oh. <laughs> I'm just glad we don't have playoff Bledsoe on our team anymore. Oh Jesus! Anybody? That is so. a that is a serious place of pain for me, bro. Somebody literally brought up this question. I believe it was on Twitter, and he t- he asked if the Bucks in 2019 had Drew Holiday instead of Eric Bledsoe, would they have beat Toronto? I was like, yes, a thousand times. Yes, <laughs> I think we could have won if because Drew Kyle and Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet absolutely murdered Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, and Bledsoe. Bledsoe was the kind of guy, and I, you know, thank you for your time here in Milwaukee. But, you know, he was that kind of guy. If he got scored on once or twice, it was kind of like he started going in his shell, and he was like, don't show me on TV. And, <laughs> you know, as the third option on the Bucks, only averaging 11 and a, 11.1 points a game. And he was never off. a shooter. Yeah, there, there is literally a reason we won the title, because our third scorer can do a step-back jumper, and it's filthy nasty. And he can actually, you know, out-muscle people and he's taller. Yeah, true. <sighs> lots of reasons. Lots and lots of reasons. Yeah, showing we can beat the Nets without Durant's toe on the line. I Don't don't give me that shit because that's just a – that's a cop-out. Like, I'm so you can, sick of that. You can do that with every single title that's ever been won. <sighs> you can go back and say, if this, this, and this wouldn't have happened, that, that, and that wouldn't have happened, then this team wouldn't have won. It's it's over, it's done. The Bucks won the title. Move on. Agreed. But, you know, it is what it is. All this talk, and James Harden still isn't going to win a title, which makes me laugh because I've said it for years that he's never going to win one because he's, he's a cancer to every team that he's been on. I mean, he is. And, and now Doc Rivers can't handle him. Stop, Simon. Yeah, true. Man, I can't. I love that he was on the top of Stephen A's most pressure list, by the way. <laughs> Easily. Well, if you think and about it, he's never going to be above Dwayne Wade on the all-time shooting guard list if he doesn't win a title. The fact that he has the same amount of MVPs as Kobe Bryant is kind of disrespectful, in my opinion. Think about that. They both have one MVP. And Kobe is looked at as, what, a top five player all time? Top ten? Probably, probably top ten, yeah. I mean, some people have him as, like, number two or three, so... 
I don't think I'd have him that high. I'd probably have him in like the five to eight range. Yeah. I mean, that's where I have him too. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna throw this in here just real quick. Um, Jake and I are gonna mention. We're just gonna mention really quick our bonus episode for this Friday. So Friday night we're doing a bonus episode. Let us know if there's anything you want to throw this in here. Is Friday we're gonna discuss rule changes. So we're going to go MLB, NFL, NBA. We're going to look at the rules, you know, the rules that have been changed, rules that have been rumored to be changed, or rumor or, or uh, rules that we would like to see changed. We're going to give three we like, three we don't like, and we're going to discuss those for each league. And then we're going to also discuss some unwritten rules of the game. So if there's any of those things that come to mind, that you're thinking about in any of those leagues that you want us to talk about on Friday on the bonus episode, just let us know. Um, and then again, I'm going to throw it out there again. Next Thursday, we're going to be doing our live show at the Keel Parker Johns, um, doing some draft discussion. So if you can make it to Keel, come and hang out with us. That said, we are going to start with tackle today. Um, now, we understand that offensive line isn't the sexiest position group to discuss, but it's important. It is the most Obviously, important. Obviously, it's, it's, you, need, you need offensive line to pass and to run the ball. So, yep. while it's not the sexiest position group to talk about, what Jake and I want to do is to put these names into your head and throw out some of the skill sets that they bring to the table so when the, the Packers draft Trevor Penning at 28 instead of Traylon Burks or George Pickens or something like that at 28 – that you won't freak out and be like, oh, my God, they need wide receivers. Why didn't they draft one? Two things. One, the Packers need a starting right tackle. Badly. Two, this is a very deep wide receiver draft. A guy like George Pickens could conceivably fall to 53. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. It's really not. There are other wide receivers in this draft. One of my favorite wide receivers in this draft could easily be a second-round pick, and that's Alec Pierce. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you could go down the line. There's Romeo Doves and Khalil Shakir and Jalen Tolbert, uh, you know, guys that could be had later in this draft. I mean, even throw Isaiah Weston in there. He could be like a seventh round pick Mm -hmm. and he's got one of the highest RAS scores. So this is a super deep wide receiver draft, but we're going to talk about offensive linemen and we're going to put some of these names into people's heads so that you know who they are. Um, I just want a little PSA here. The thing about the NFL draft that I love is, you know, Tyler and I can, can say all these names. You know, Joe Schmo can say all these names. Simon, he does uh, he does a show and he does his own list. He could say 100 names. He could, he could recruit every player. The thing that you don't know and that I love, it kind of has a March Madness feel where a guy from the freaking sixth round all of a sudden ends up in the Hall of Fame in 20 years. And it's like, how come nobody saw that guy coming? That's what I love about the NFL draft. Look at Donald Driver. Guy was uh, undrafted. You know, I thought he was seventh round. Was right. was well, anyways, yeah, maybe whatever. Well, anyways, he was either undrafted or seventh round, and he came out of nowhere. And now he's the all-time leading yardage receiver for the one of the greatest franchises in NFL history. Does it help he has having Brett Favre? Too. Does it help having Brett Favre? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then going to Aaron Rodgers, but he put in the work, man. Seventh rounder, see? I do it. Yes. Right. Bam. Right. Let's go. Um, yeah. Uh, let, let's get into these tackles, man, dude. There. I'm just gonna say this before we start. There's some massive. Massive human beings in this draft. <laughs> Massive. 
Yeah, the two the two that I want most for the Packers, it's not it's not my top three, but the two that I think would be the best for the Packers are just gigantic human beings. But let's yeah. kick it off. Let's I'll let you go first. Give me your number one tackle. Alright, my number one tackle is the number one tackle. Um no, before we start this, we're not gonna get every person, okay? But uh, we had to recruit them, you know, and and look at where they were. And the first one, this guy is an athletic freak at 6'7", 350 pounds. His name is Evan Neal. This guy is a straight-up stud. And, you know, I talked about guys being drafted in the, in the sixth or seventh round, undrafted maybe, ain't making it in the Hall of Fame. This guy looks like he could be drafted first overall. Top five, easily. Easily top five. He could be drafted first overall, and you're like, that is not a bad pick because he's really freaking good. Now, 6'7", 350, right? Massive human being. Not the biggest person in this draft, by the way, which is very shocking. (laughs) He was clocked. I got some athletic tidbits for you on this guy. He was clocked running 18.5 miles per hour. (laughs) Now, when I was taking my notes, I looked at my girlfriend. I was like, can you imagine a 350-pound man running at you at almost 20 miles an hour? And then on top of that, he could bench 475 pounds. And he squats 650 pounds. Jesus. Oh, and he has hops. He routinely, I looked up this video because, you know, one of the one of the scouting reports I read said it. He routinely hits box jumps at 48 inches. Just for people at home that don't want to do the math, that's four feet tall. He could jump four feet routinely at 350 freaking pounds. <laughs> now, outside of all those athletic achievements, he's pretty good at football. You know, when I took into consideration who was the best, he was the, if he's not the best, he's the second best at pass blocking and run blocking. You know, his positioning, he understands positioning. He doesn't overstep. Uh, The biggest thing for when you're looking at tackles is you want to see how fast they get out of their three-point stance, right? You want to see if they can negate those, those speed rushers and then take the pounding and are strong enough for the bowl rushers. That's what you're looking for. So Evan Neal had... Beautiful technique, the best technique I've watched in this draft. And he's just, he's a wonderful, wonderful player, man. He's going to make somebody very happy for at least the next 15 years. If the Bengals could find a way to try, like, trade up into the top five, like, like if they give just all of the rest of their picks in this draft and walk away with only Evan Neal, like, you, you could probably chalk the Bengals back up for being in the, the AFC championship. The, the Jaguars need to end up with Evan Neal. That's what I'm going to say. Yes, they do. Um. Yeah, they need him more than they need an edge rusher because you, you know, you spent the number one pick on a quarterback last year. You, time to spend a number one on protecting him. And you just brought in all those offensive weapons. You overpaid for some of them. So if you want that to work and you're really going to try to give Lawrence a chance, you need to protect him. Yep. Look at what happened to Burrow. He's getting his ass whooped over there, man. You just talked about it. They need it offensive back line to hurt back. him in the biggest game of the year. It did because if they would have blocked for an extra second, they might be Super Bowl champs. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's that's the hard truth. I it mean, is. I don't think they regret Jamar Chase, but you you might have been able to get by with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. I agree. You know, especially how good you know. Yeah, we'll so, see. I want to answer Taylor's question. Taylor asked, trade up for him if if for some reason he's not drafted by say like pick eight. You might be able to call the Falcons and say, hey, like, what do you want? We'll give you 22, a second, and a fourth. And, if, I mean, it, like I said, if he somehow falls to the eighth pick, 
That's that might be where I see the earliest that the Packers can trade up, but I don't see him making it that far. Uh, he's probably not making a pass pick three, in my opinion. He's really fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the other thing with Evan Neal is he's played left tackle and right tackle, and yep. he's really good at identifying stunts. So, yep. when when you know talking about stunts, that's when the defensive line and linebackers they're going to have somebody block this way, and then they're going to have somebody else come around the other way to try to confuse your linemen and try to catch them off guard or or off balance. Evan Neal is really good at identifying that, which is really important from the tackle position because if you're playing left tackle, you got nobody on your left to help you. If you're playing mm-hmm. right tackle, you got nobody on your right to help you. So if you got somebody coming around, you got to be able to know where that person's going to be. And Evan Neal is really good at identifying that. Um, and yeah, left and right tackle. Um, number two for me, I have Ika McQuanu. He's 6'4". In my opinion, he's a... a a better run blocker than the guy that I'm going to have number three. So my number two and number three are interchangeable in my opinion, but Ike McQuanu six, four, he's a great run blocker. He gets to the second level really well. He's played left tackle and left guard. So that versatility is there. And he had an 8.31 RAS score. Jake, who did you have number two? Um, I have, uh, actually I have Ike McQuanu as a, as a guard. On, on one of my websites. That's, He's you know, as, as so many of these have seen, like I've seen a lot of these guys that ended up in different positions. So yeah, however yeah. you want to throw that out there, like we're going to talk about all three of the offensive line positions. So yeah. some of them will intersect. So that's totally fine with me. Okay. So my number two is actually Charles Cross. Um, if you have the Packers app, they just they just had a, a, a article on him, a draft profile on him on the Packers app. So you can read that. It's pretty good. Um, but Charles Cross, he's a – very, very good player. He'd be the clear-cut number one left tackle if Evan Neal didn't exist in the world. Yep. Um, he's got great extension on his on his pass block sets. Um, yep. he, in in my opinion, he's the best pass blocker in this draft. Yep. The, the reason that I had him number two is he didn't have the dominant run blocking that I like to have. So to me, he is more of a left tackle because traditionally in the NFL, your pass, your better best pass blockers are on the left. And your better run blockers are on the right. That's just the name of the game. That that might be an unwritten rule that I could bring up, by the way, on Friday. Um, that's just how I've always been taught. Uh, your right guard is your best run blocker. Your right tackle is your second best run blocker. So Charles Cross is probably going to end up being a really, really good left tackle in the NFL, protecting the blind side of somebody's you know, franchise quarterback. Yep. And Charles Cross is my number three. Um, like I said, based on your team need, I could easily interchange him and Aquanu. Um, mm-hmm. based on if you need a better run blocker or a better pass blocker, based, it's, you know, if you're, if you're the Bengals, you need a pass blocker. If you are, <laughs> I mean, if you're the Jaguars, you need both, but, you know, looking yeah. at Charles Cross, he, in my opinion, is a better pass blocker. Aquanu is a better run blocker. So it's basically team need dependent, which one you want to go with two and three. The other thing with Charles Cross is he was first team, all American and first team, all SEC at Mississippi State. So mm-hmm. that's a big deal. That's not a it's not a bad school for football, but when you're in the SEC, Mississippi State is not the first one you think of when you're talking all SEC and all American. I agree. All right. You ready for my number three? Yep. My third best tackle, uh Trevor Penning. This is the first guy when I looked at tackles that could fall to the Green Bay Packers. And he is also a massive human being. He is 6'7, 325. And he's just I'm just gonna say it, he's a mean son of a bitch, man. 
he really like he is great at finishing blocks. Um, yep. He likes to take people and just put them right in the dirt and tell them <laughs> you're going to be here for 60 minutes, and you're, there's nothing you can do about it. The thing about him, um, he's just so strong. He has very good eyes and he has very good reaction. And why I put down the word reaction is he can react to the stunts and his hands can can go from one guy and flip to the next guy. And he has really, really good feet. He's an athletic player at 325 pounds. So he would look lovely in green and gold on the right side of that offensive line. <clears throat> Trevor Penning is one of those guys where if, you know, if Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Drake London, Jamison Williams, if all those guys are gone before the Packers pick, and, you know, the Packers are looking at drafting maybe Jahan Dotson at 22 mm-hmm. and Trevor Penning is available, I would a 100 times out of 100 go with Trevor Penning over a guy like Jahan Dotson. Me too. 100 sure times up. out of 100. Sure, I would take sure him, O-line. personally, I would take him over Traylon Burks. Really? I would, yeah. Wow. I, th- I think Penning's going to be a guy that'll be there at 22, and I think Burks is a guy that'll be there at 28. So I think I, there's I, I, agree with I, that. I think there's a way that they get Penny and Burks. Yep, I'd be okay with that. I personally I don't want to draft Burks at 22 because in my in my thoughts I'm hoping either Olave or Drake London falls to that 22 spot. But if neither one of them do, I would I would like to see them maybe pivot away from the wide receiver position and draft Trevor Penning. Um, Trevor Penning, that being said, is my number four. Um, I'm going to throw this out there too. Um, Jake and I are going to live stream during the first round. So when it gets to 22 and 28, Jake and I can talk about it right away. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, when it gets to pick number 21, you know, we can start talking about who, you know, who the Packers we'll, are maybe we'll looking at. We'll see who's available and stuff. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jake and I are going to live stream during the first round of the NFL draft. I'm so excited, dude. I know. That's going to be fun. <laughs> um, sick. Trevor Penning is my number four. Um, he's one of the guys that I have circled that I would love to have on the Packers. Um, Six foot seven. He's an absolute monster. He had a nine point nine six RAS score. Yeah, that's <laughs> at six foot seven. And Jake, Jake said both of the things that I had um, written down that I wanted to mention with Trevor Penning, which was finishing blocks and just constantly putting guys on the ground. Yep. Like it seemed like every single play, whoever Trevor Penning was blocking, was <laughs> I know, on the dude. Ground. I was like, what the hell. <laughs> Am I watching George Pickens highlights again? <laughs> yeah, right, dude. Dude, he's nuts. I'm telling body. you, bro. I was telling everybody. I was like, bro, look up George Pickens. He literally is just like full speed running. Like he's going on a go around. Wow, right into somebody. I'm like, Jesus. This guy's angry. <laughs> I, I said it last week when we talked about wide receivers that I think he's the best blocking wide receiver in the draft. Dude. Okay. I'm just going to put this out there. Pause real quick. If we end up with Pickens... And Alec Pierce. I know I texted this to you. We are oh. definitely getting jerseys for one. Yes. And me and you are about to throw a freaking party, dude, because we both got our <laughs> boys. That shit would be crazy. That would be awesome. That, that would, would be awesome. Be, that'd, be, that'd be nasty. All right. So, with that being I'm said, my, f- my, f- no, my fourth, my fourth one. You oh, jumped yeah. ahead, yeah, of, we you jumped ahead yeah, of me. Yep, yeah, yep. It's all good. From, it's all good. From Trevor Penning to Trevor Penning. Okay. So, uh, Jan- mine is uh, Daniel Falele, uh, tackle out of. Fala, humongous human being. I don't, I don't fuck around when it comes to pronunciation. I know you don't, man. This guy's gonna, this guy's gonna have me sound like an encyclopedia pretty soon. Um, <laughs> six nine, three hundred and eighty-seven pounds. This is a 
big human being. I don't care if he's standing next to Shaq. He's still big, okay? He's big as shit. He's massive. He is powerful in the run game. And I literally just have dreams of him leading the way, going up to the second level, and A.J. Dillon coming towards a 180-pound corner. Please let that happen. Please. Oh, my God. They, we will just fucking kill somebody. He needs a little bit of work against speed rushers, right? Yes. Because he's so big. But since he has been losing weight because he's been trying to get a little bit more lean, because he came into college over 400 pounds, which is freaking stupid as hell. But he's down in the 380, 370 range. Um, holy shit, man. He's so big. I just keep thinking. I can't get it out of my head. It's snowing in Lambeau Field, and and he's coming full steam at a safety, bro. And then you have you have just Andre the Giant. Oh, imagine AJ or Aaron Jones behind him. He's so fast and shifty. Okay, you just lead the way, and I'm just gonna juke the other seven people. Shorter. That's crazy, bro. The whole and probably about 300 pounds lighter. (laughs) That's oh my god. That's crazy, but. Daniel, he's he's huge. He's a good player. He's powerful as hell. And all all I know is when it's negative fifteen outside, I don't want that landing on me. Oh my god! I, yeah. Or to try to get around him, like you're gonna need oh. a bus pass to get around him. <laughs> oh, that was good. I didn't expect that. That was a good one. <laughs> oh. All right, number five. I have another guy who's big. He's not quite as big. As Daniel Faalele, but Bernard Raymond, he's yep. six foot six. Um, he's a good pass blocker. He actually started as a tight end, so he's got some of the the tight end IQ, which helps him in the pass blocking game. Um, he's actually one of the older players in the draft, which mm-hmm. kind of plays into his IQ. Um, mm-hmm. He's very fluid. He's athletic enough to be a starter. Um, he's probably going to be like something in the late second round, but I have I have Bernard Raymond as my number five. My number five is actually Bernard Raymond as well. Oh, yeah. um, he, you know, you mentioned how he came in as a not lineman. So he has great size, right? He he worked his way up to the 290, 300-pound range. Um, so for him to put on all that weight and still keep a lot of his athleticism is very, very impressive to me. So he's a guy that has the quickness and the foot speed to deal with speed rushers. And the thing that he, the only thing that I think he struggled with was, you know, neutralizing the bull rush, which that is going to be a trend with a lot of my tackles uh, for the rest of my list is dealing with the bull rush. That's a big thing coming into the NFL. But Raymond, he's a he's a good guy. Um, he's a guy uh, that I think has the athleticism to get up to the second level very easily. So extend running plays, and he had a 3.8 GPA in college. So you know that he's a smart guy. So the NFL playbook should not be a problem for him to understand. Yep, that's a good point. My number six is another guy that I have circled that I want to end up on the Packers, and it's Daniel Fa'alele. He just he's just absolutely massive. He was first uh-huh. team all Big Ten at Minnesota. Um, they noted his durability, which is uh, really important for me. Um, definitely something that I have my eye on looking at all of the offensive lineman positions is durability. Because the Packers have had a lot of injuries on the offensive line, which is why it's always so crucial that the Packers draft offensive line depth, which is why Jake and I decided to not talk about just tackles, which the Packers have an immediate need for, but also centers because Lucas Patrick is gone, who played backup center. Uh, Josh Myers spent some time dealing with injury, so that's why Jake and I decided to talk about centers. And we figured, hey, 
we're talking about tackles and centers. We might as well talk about guards too, because we know the Packers are going to draft offensive line depth like they always do. Bro, one fifth, reasons, sixth, seventh round. It's one of the reasons they always have a very solid offensive line. And now the Packers offensive line coach, Adam Stenovich, is now the offensive coordinator. So that, that trend is going to continue. And now with uh, Stenovich being the offensive coordinator, he's probably going to have a little bit more say when it comes to draft day. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. So Daniel Fa'alele, my number six, he just needs – he's a great size and speed combo. He's fluid. The only thing that I have with him is I just want to – he's got to be a little quicker laterally. Yep. Yep. So shuffling side to side, when you're dealing with guys that have a lot of speed, like Jake mentioned, that's where he's going to need to improve is his lateral quickness. Yep, yep. All right. All right, so I'm going to butcher this guy's name, or I'm going to ask my buddy who's really good. How do you say the Ohio State tackle's name? Nicholas Pettit Frere. Okay, so I was going to say it correctly. I just didn't want to go on live and say it wrong again. So that's my number, <laughs> that's my number six. Uh, he's yeah, you go pro- from a Samoan name to a French name. Yeah, that's just a lot for my mouth to do, man. Um, he's 6'5", 315. Um, he's probably a late first, early second round guy is how they're looking at him. Um, he could play both tackle positions, and he has good feet. Yep. He has good feet. Yep. He, can, he can get out of his out of his uh, three-point stance very quickly. The problem with him, though, is he's a little bit of a leaner, so he leans a little bit over his body, so that takes away some of his power. And... Uh, sometimes he plays a little too wide. He comes out a little too wide with that anticipation that allows rushers to get inside him. But those are all things that can get coached up. Uh, all these problems that I'm going to say with these offensive linemen, you come to Green Bay, that's a team that's going to coach you up and, and make sure that you are at the best that you can be. That's how I feel. Uh, Royce Newman is a perfect example. 100%. He's going to be a good player. <laughs> he was, what, a fourth-round pick last year? Yeah, he's going to be a good player mainly because he ended up in Green Bay. That's how I feel. If he would have ended up in Chicago, trash. He, I mean, he started, he had some rookie mistakes early in the year, and as the year went on, like, you didn't hear his name. And that's yeah. a good thing when you talk about offensive linemen. If you're not hearing an offensive lineman's name, that's a good thing. I agree. Or number for whatever you want to say. Um, my number seven is Nicholas pettit Frere. Jake mentioned he's 6'5", 316, plays both tackles. He's quick laterally which is important mm-hmm. playing tackle. Um, so he's he's really good for pass blocking. Um, he struggles getting to the second level a little bit, but that's something, you know, as you start doing NFL conditioning, you get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. Um, that's what you're going to need. So he's he's a good pass blocker, would be able to step in right away. He would, in my opinion, he would challenge for the, t- the starting, right tackle, starting right tackle job. And, you know, you just you plug him in and you develop him with game action. Mm-hmm. So, my number seven is Sean Ron. I like this guy's name. Um, he is out of UCLA. Um, he is a three-year starter, so he's he, he understands the game. He's had a lot of playing time. Um, he has great technique. Uh, my only problem with him is he plays a little bit high. His pad level is a little high. So, on goal line and short yardage situations, people might be able to get underneath him. But... Uh, other than that, he's a good player. He's good technique, good feet, good foot speed, um, and he has very strong hands. All right. For me, nine number eight, I have Abraham Lucas. Um, he's six foot six, three fifteen. Plays a lot of right tackle. Had a nine point seven two RAS score. Um, <clears throat> he has lots of experience pass blocking. 
Uh, but what I do think is he needs to work on his run blocking a little bit. But um, as far as drafting a guy who could step in at right tackle and help with your pass blocking, Abraham Lucas is the guy that I'm looking for. <laughs> James? Another guy uh, with two first names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my number eight is actually Abraham Lucas. Uh, Tyler said a lot of stuff that I have. One thing I'm going to say is he has over 3,000 career snaps in college. So he's a guy that has been in there and done the dirty work. For sure. My number nine, this is another guy who's listed, depending on where you look, is listed at different positions. I have Tyler Smith. Uh, he's 6'4", 324. Um, he's good, good combination of speed and strength. Um, yep. He just he just needs some polish. He's kind of a kind of a raw prospect, is Tyler Smith. So I have him at number nine. Yeah, um, I have Tyler Smith as my number nine, too. So there you go. That's our second one in the offensive All tackles. Right. Um, he's a big guy. He has big hands. His measurables were big. He had a big wingspan. So, uh, to me, I don't agree with Tyler with the size thing, but that's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. Uh, my, my thing is I've always been taught that size is something you can't teach and speed is something you can't teach. So when you're a big guy like that, you clean up some of the mechanics and you can turn into a pretty good player. Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. I think he has a chance to be pretty decent. All right. My number 10 is Sean Ryan. Okay. So Jake already talked about him. Um, 6'4", 321, very physical, very athletic. He's a solid all-around guy. Um, he just, in my opinion, he just needs to add some quickness. So the difference between speed and quickness, like we talked a lot about with wide receivers, um, mm-hmm. he just needs some quickness. Um, James is in here asking us Saints wide receivers questions in the middle of a discussion of offensive linemen. Who are you number Joe one? Horn, Marquise Colston, or Michael Thomas. Well, Michael Thomas is clearly the best one. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. But that's how I, I would agree. I mean, yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. So my, oh, yeah. oh, I my number 10, my yeah, number 10 is, uh, is Kellen Deesh, um out of Arizona State. He's 6'7", 299. Um He's a he was actually impressive when I watched his tape. He's a very very good player. The only thing that I have is he only has he, he was only a, a starter for one year. So maybe there's some things that we don't see. People figure out new ways to attack him, but other than that, I think I think he has a chance to be a pretty good player. I mean, he's big. He's a little light for a guy who's 6'7", 300 pounds. So people can throw 300 pounds around pretty easily, which sounds stupid, but you can't. I mean, a guy like Kenny Clark, it's not a shock that guys like that can do that. Yeah, so. agreed. Um, other than that, yeah, Kelly, Kellen Deesh out of Arizona State. I have a couple of Arizona State linemen in here, which was kind of surprising to me. I don't really think of Arizona State when I think of offensive line you, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what position I think of when I think of Arizona State. Um, I always think, this is going to sound bad, I always think of, of women, because they always come out with that poll of the women to man ratio and Arizona State is always at the top. It's always like four to one, like women to man ratio in Arizona State. So I'm like, when when I see like basketball players and stuff go there, I'm like, yeah, they like chicks, bro. They're trying to get some chicks. You know, <laughs> I am equally surprised and not surprised that you know that. I just I see it on Barstool, man. <laughs> Barstool's got it all. <laughs> all right, let's move. Let's move to guard. Let's talk about guards. I'll let you go first on this one. Okay, um, I have uh, Iquanu as my number one. Okay. Um, he's the best run blocker in this draft. He 
understands positioning like no other in this draft from the guard position. Um, he's very athletic. He has good lateral quickness. Um, I actually seen him line up at tackle. So if that you know plays into that's, yours, that's he, why I had him. Yep, that's right. He li- he lined up at left guard, right guard, and right tackle. Um, so he's a he's a very very good player. There's actually another player that lined up at go- both guard positions. He's my number two, but. Uh, the thing about Iquano that made him the best is he only has a 2.7% pressure rate. So huh. that's pretty good. All right, my number one is Zion Johnson. He's a very solid all-around guard. He's good. He's got a good low center of gravity. He's only 6'3", um, but still 316 pounds. So he's got a good low center of gravity. He had a 9.55 mm-hmm. RAS score, and he's good at getting to the second level. So he would be a good run-blocking uh, guard but he's still got the low center of gravity to be able to hold his ground in a pass rush. That's very good. So my number two, and this is the guy that I actually want to be on the Packers because I think he's going to he's gonna be a pro bowler. That's how I feel about this guy. Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M. This guy is a stud. He's versatile. He played, he played left tackle, left guard, right guard, and right tackle. He played all of them. He played every offensive line position except center. And the first thing that I noticed, he didn't get bull rushed not one damn time. His body is filled out. So when, when high school kids go to college, you usually see them, they're skinny, they need to get a nutrition plan, and that's why they hire those strength and conditioning coaches at those big-time schools, right? This guy is filled out. He is a big, thick boy, and he is not afraid to throw around that 325 pounds. I'll tell you that right now. And wherever he lined up, whether it was at left tackle, left guard, or on the right side of the line, that is where Texas A&M was, was running the ball. Whether it was pulling him to the right side, pulling him to the left side. If he was at right tackle, they were doing a, a sweep to the outside on the right. Left tackle, sweep to the outside on the left. Wherever he was, that is where Texas A&M was running the ball. Point blank simple. So I also have Kenyon Green, number two. He's a great run blocker. Uh, Jake mentioned that he's really good at handling strength. Um, the yeah. only thing that I saw was that he might struggle with some athletic um, a little bit faster defensive lineman. So that's a really okay. nitpicky thing. But, I mean, it's something to, you know, to kind of throw in, you know, what these guys might need to work on because nobody's perfect coming into the NFL. Um, no. Everybody's going to have things that they're going to be working on. So yeah. I have Kenyon Green, my number two as well. I agree with Scott. He is a beast, man. Um, so my number three is Darren Kennard uh, out of Kentucky. And Kentucky is – they're starting to put some football teams. They together, are. Man. They really are. They, they. I don't know what happened. They changed, you know, you know, coaches or whatever. But say, maybe they got a new athletic director. Yeah, they're they're starting to put some shit together, man. Um, this guy, ha- he could be a guy that you draft in the second round. He could be a day one starter. Yep. Honestly, um, he has very high football IQ. He understands pad level, which. If you watch football or you played football or you coach football, you've been around football, you understand that pad level for offensive, defensive linemen is one of the most important things. So him understanding that is amazing. Um, he needs to be a little bit more consistent in his pass blocking. He came out a li- he came out you know a little soft in my opinion sometimes, but coaching could change that. Um, he's agile and he loves getting to the second level. That's my opinion because he when he, whenever I saw him see a linebacker, he was ready to put him on his ass. <laughs> so I also have Darian Kinner to my number three. I have him circled because I would love to see him end up on the Packers. Yep, yep. He's 6'5", 345, long yeah. arms, big hands. He also has experience at right tackle. Yeah. 
So that is also worth noting. He's a good run blocker, like Jake said. He opens gaps well and finishes his blocks. So when I was watching him, what I was picturing is seeing him open up a gap and Aaron Jones coming out full speed or A.J. Dillon coming out with a full head of steam. True. Oh, man. You see A.J. Dillon coming at you without anybody between you and him? That's a scary place to be. If A.J. Dillon passes the line of scrimmage untouched, you're probably in trouble. It's going to be at least a 20-yard run. That's all I'm going to say. You ever watch X-Men and hear the juggernaut? Like, once he starts his momentum, there's no stopping it? That's (laughs) A.J. Dillon. Dude, we need to make that into a meme now. Just put him in a pack of (laughs) I will find it. I will find I'll put A.J. Dillon and juggernaut next to each other. I will do that. We need to do do that. that. Challenge accepted. All right. Um, yes, Scott, he can play tackle as well. He has experience at right tackle. So having that experience at right guard, right tackle, the versatility. The Packers offensive line to me is similar to the way that Craig Council likes his infield. Craig Council loves his utility guys. And the Packers love having guys that can play multiple offensive line positions. I can't wait to hey talking about infield. I can't wait to talk about Willie Adams's catch last night, buddy. I love Willie Adams. That was sick. And then he was like kind of talking to the fans, like no, yeah. no, no, not today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's All get right. back on track. Number four, uh, I have Jameer Saylor out of uh, Georgia. Uh, he has very good hands. Played in the SEC. That's a football conference god. We know that. So when you show a guy going against those athletes at 6'4", 320 pounds, he's able to handle those speed rushers. He's able to get up to the second level. That's what we're looking for. Um, he was graded on this website that I go on. Um, it's called NFL Draft Buzz. He was graded as a 92% on pass blocking. So this guy knows how to pass block, and that's the name of the game. we got to protect number 12. Yep, I have Jamari Salyer as number four on my list as well. Um, he's versatile. Another guy that's versatile. It's, mm-hmm. it's gonna, Jake and I are going to keep discussing guys that can play multiple offensive line yep. positions. Because when injuries happen, that's where you need a guy that can step in. Um I do think we'll see as far as versatility is concerned. I do think Yash Nyman is going to get an opportunity to play that starting right tackle. Um, I do too. But that takes away your depth at left tackle. So Elton Jenkins isn't going to be ready day one. So you're going to need guys that can play multiple positions. Lucas Patrick was one of those guys. He could play guard and he could play center. Elton Jenkins is one of those guys. He plays all five. Um, you know, John Runyon plays both guard positions. It's, it's going to be that the Packers are going to be looking for versatile offensive linemen. Um, and Jamari Salyer is no exception to that. Um, he handles really big defensive linemen very well, which is another thing, like Jake said, assists in the pass rushing game. So I have him at number four as well. All right, my number five, his name is Cole Strange. He went to Chattanooga. Tennessee. Um, he is a good player. He's a good athlete. He ran a five second forty and thirty one reps on the bench press. So pretty good, pretty good combination of size and speed. Uh, the only problem I found with him is that sometimes he's late coming off the snap and he kind of lunges towards speed rushers. But that's something that could easily be fixed in the NFL. All right, my number five. I have Dylan Parham. He's six three, two eighty five. He's a little bit smaller guy, but. Um, scored a 9.32 on the RAS scores. Um, he's a great run blocker, really good at getting to the second level. Um, and he has a lighter body, which gives him really good body control. So he can he can move around quickly. So it gives him that quickness. Um, so that helps him change directions really quickly. So as a guard, if you're dealing with, you know, dealing with linebacker blitzing or, or defensive line stunts, having a guy that can 
can move and change direction quickly is, is something that would be helpful. I definitely think that 40 time and 20 yard shuttle are something that are very important to, to guards, especially because those are the guys that pull, you know, and get mm-hmm. in front of the running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, my number six is Dylan Parham. Uh, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler talked about him quite a bit. Um, I'm just going to say my one negative on him is his pad level was a little high uh, in close quarters. Um, you really got to look at the third and twos or the goal line where it's it's second and, and one, you know, and you're trying to pick up that one yard. And every once in a while, those guys will come out high, and that's why they get beat. Um, if you want to see a guy on the Packers, um, you could look at Tyler Lancaster. Um, he came out high a lot. Um, that was why he got pushed back all the time. And um, you look at Dean Lowry, he changed his pad level. He got a lot lower this last year, which is why he was able to get more pressures. So Dylan Parham, changes, uh, get a little bit lower on that pad level, sit a little bit. All your power comes from your hips, man. Um, in baseball, um, in basketball, legs are so important. In football, offensive line, you know, you know, your hips and your legs are so important. So being able to sit down and, and really control that and have all your power centered, that's really important. And Dylan Parham, he's a good player, but – a little bit better pad level, he could turn to a really, really good player. Yeah, so Scott said something that we want to echo. Kind of want the best player available by need. That's that's why Jake and I are talking about offensive linemen. Because, like we said this a little bit earlier, we want to put these names into people's heads so that if they're drafted over a guy that you've heard his name 20 times because he's a wide receiver and the Packers need wide receivers, that people aren't freaking out and being like, oh my God, we need wide receivers. Why did we draft an offensive lineman? It's it's still a need. You're going to need offensive linemen to protect your quarterback. It's not going to matter. Ask Joe Burrow if you know if he wishes his team would have drafted an offensive lineman earlier in the draft last year. Yeah. So you, you offensive linemen are important. You don't hear their names. They don't they don't rack up statistics, but you need them. And your ass. <laughs> so that being said. Um, my number six, we're on number six, right? You just did number five. Yeah. Yep. No, we're All on number right. seven. Number seven. Dylan Parham is my number six. Did I do number six? Was it number, f- number six? Okay, you do your number six. My number five was Dylan Parham. So my number six is Marquise yep. Hayes. He's yep, 6'4", yep. 324. He's got long arms. He's strong. He's a physical finisher. He's a good run-blocking guard. So my number six is Marquise Hayes. I'm going to respond to James. I don't understand why they don't. And they can break it up. Best tackle, best guard, best center. They they literally grade them anyway, so why not give them awards? And, yes, and Scott, we and do Scott, need another receiver. Yep. Scott, to, to your point, um, I wanted to respond to what you said as well. Um, taking best player available is always a, a good way to go. They uh, The Packers, there was just an article that I read today where they, they bet on athleticism. Last year they bet on athleticism with Eric Stokes. They bet on athleticism with Rashawn Gary. And those have both turned out good. You know. So what I want, I want to throw this out there too is a lot of teams <laughs> do things because um, they draft by tiers. So you know, you're going to have this many players in tier one. If there is a tier one offensive lineman available, you're not going to draft a tier two wide receiver. Does that make sense? So you're, you're, that's, that goes along with the best player available. Just because you need a wide receiver doesn't mean you're going to pass up a better uh, available talent at another position just to fill a position of need. That's how you turn into the Lions and the Bears. <laughs> or the Raiders, where they were just taking the fastest guy. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Never forget that, man. They skipped out on Calvin Johnson in that in that aspect where they were taking the fastest guy. <laughs> that's hilarious to me. But anyways, I hate the Raiders now, by the way, eternally, forever. Um, my number seven is Ed Ingram uh, out of LSU. Um, he had over 800 offensive snaps last year, and he only gave up two sacks and 11 total pressures. Um, he's a guy that started out, you know, back in 2018, I believe it was, and he's just been getting better and better and better every year. Uh, 2021, this last year, was his best year. Um, he needs to be a little bit uh, better um, athlete, uh, getting around people to get to the second level. But other than that, he was a very, very good player. All right, my number seven is Cole Strange. So Jake already talked about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good high IQ player. He's a good zone blocker, um, which is, you know, that's different than some of these other guys. He could help in the play-action game, and he could help with screens. So that's that's something that I'm thinking about the Packers. I'm thinking about them setting up Aaron Jones in the screen game, having a guy like Cole Strange who could go and help um, and go block for those screen plays would be good. Uh, in my opinion, he did actually take some snaps at center at the combine. So he's another guy who could potentially have some versatility to him. That is a good note right there that I did not have. So very good, man. Uh, number eight, I have Marcus Hayes. I know Tyler already talked about him. Yep. Um, the mm-hmm. only problem I have with him, he's a very, very strong guy, and he's a good athlete for how big he is. I mean, 6'5", 324, that's a big old hefty boy, man. I mean, I'm 6'5", and I weigh, I'm in the 270, 280, so adding another 50 pounds on me, I'm just like, God damn, where the hell are you going to Where does it go? Where are you going to put all that, man? I'm already called <laughs> Chunky. <laughs> but, uh, no, he's a good player. Um, he's he's looked to be drafted somewhere in the third or fourth round, in my opinion. That's where, at least where I'm getting from some of my sources. But he struggles against speed rushers. So if if he can, you know, he's a guy that's definitely going to need to stay inside with that with that because yep. you can't put him outside because speed right. rushers is easier to to rush on you on the outside. But yep. other than that, everything else fundamentally sound, good hands. If he if he can adapt to the NFL speed, he could turn into a good player. All right, my number uh, eight is a guy that Jake already mentioned as well is Ed Ingram, six four, three twenty, uh, three hundred twenty pounds. Um, he's a good IQ with picking up blitzes. Uh, he's good with his hands, and he would be a solid pass-blocking addition to the Packers' offensive line. Okay, okay. Um, I have a guy from Virginia Tech. His name is Lekitus Smith. I'm not sure I said that right. That's Lacetus. Lacetus? It's Lacetus. I, don't, I can't read names, okay? I'm terrible at names. Everybody <laughs> if I don't laugh. know what it is, I look it up, man. That's what I'm here for. P- people, can, people can laugh at me in the comments. No, I like just going out there, man. Let's just do this thing. People can laugh at me, come in, more viewers. It's fine. They can be like, look at this dumb guy trying to read this guy's name. Okay, that's fine with me. Look at this co-host correcting him all the time. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy must be the smart guy. Yep, you are correct, 100%. <laughs> uh, back on track here. Uh, this guy, um, he is... He's a good player. He's 6'3", 321. He needs to be a little bit more consistent, um, especially out of his three-point stance. His last name is Smith. He's already awesome. Oh, that's why. Okay. Um, oh, hang on. Steve Steve is asking us a question. You can – He's you asking can... about William Dunkel from San Diego State. He had a pro football focus at one of the highest run-blocking grades, but he's projecting the seventh. Um, let's see. My so- The highest I've seen him – out of total rankings, something like 18, maybe. Um, if it's you know, if it's something like 
um, whether it's athletic, um, something holding him back athletically, if it's technique, it could be maturity. I mean, it could be any number of things. I didn't look into him because Jake and I only did top 10. Um, and his RAS score is 516, so not a super high score on that. Um, just a lot of better options available, I think, is the um, is the discussion there. Um, my number nine is also Lasita Smith, um, 6'3", 320. He's a solid all-around um, I do think he's better going to be in this guard position because he does seem to rely on the guys next to him a lot. Yep. So he could struggle in one-on-ones. Um, that's that's my note on him is he might struggle with one-on-ones. So he's probably going to be something like a fifth, sixth rounder. Okay. Um, I have a guy, Isaac Moore. Um, he's listed as a tackle and a guard. In my opinion, he's more of a guard for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned about Smith. But he, he is a guy, he has a little bit of a nasty streak, but he, he is limited because he's is not, as, is not as consistent as I want him to be. So you have a guy with that mentality, you bring him in, you coach him up, you never know. I mean, Lucas Patrick came in, he was an undrafted guy on the practice squad, and he turned into a, a pretty decent starting guard and a starting center for yep. a lot of his career in Green Bay. So bring a guy like Isaac Moore in here, and you just coach him up, and you see what you got. My number 10, I have Justin Schaffer. He's 6'4", 330, has a really strong upper body. Uh, he needs to add some speed to his game, but he's got a dog mentality to him. He likes to finish all of his blocks, um, mm-hmm. and that's something I, that's something you want on the offensive line. You want a guy who can help you control the trenches, a guy mm-hmm. who's kind of mean, mm-hmm. but he's good with it. I agree. All right, man. All right, one position group left. Yeah, I looked him up, by the way. Uh, the the uh, William Dunkel. Dunkel. Um, I looked him up, and literally, this is kind of disrespectful. On ESPN draft profile, it said no information. Huh. Yeah. So I was like, Ugh. I don't know. He might be. He might be a guy to watch, Steve. Honestly, he said I view Dunkel as similar to Yash Nyman, development with upside. Love teams with AJ and a powerful line. Hey, man, I've been talking about it, dude. I would love that, too, especially playoffs, man. Playoffs is such a, you know, momentum and attitude kind of game, man. I mean, I don't really trust PFF a lot, to be honest with you. I don't. I mean, I, not that I totally disrespected like everybody does, but I don't trust them wholeheartedly. That's why Tyler and I have agreed to kind of use multiple sources, to yep. pull information from multiple <clears throat> sources, because that way we're kind of forming our own opinion. Well, this guy said this about him, and this guy said this about him. Now if I watch the tape and I have this same opinion as this guy on this and this guy on this, well, then that's my opinion. So PFF is one source. But yeah, that's- seeing him going a lot around – 170 180 so looking at probably like a sixth round pick maybe seventh round pick late round draft pick for for him Packers um, have a... he's got a really low vertical only 25 on the bench 26 on his vertical uh five four four forty time he's got he's got good size so he's got the size to be um a solid offensive lineman but it seems that he needs better physical qualities as far as speed strength explosiveness are concerned yeah uh, James, Adam Schefter should just be canceled forever, for for literally ever. He's like his reporting, and then like the the lack of sensitivity when it comes to a a, a tough issue. 
I mean, it's he can score high in, in specific areas. Like, I'll see if I can pull him up on NFL Draft Buzz. That's that site's got a lot of um, a lot of different metrics, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> I mean, you can be successful in one specific area and then be lacking in others. But yeah. I will, I will pull him up on NFL Draft Buzz and see what that all says about him. <clears throat> all right. Well, I'm gonna get started on these centers, my man. So there is only a couple centers that I really felt were, I mean, personal opinion that I felt were worth my time. Um, but the one that is one of the best overall players. I would have had him in my top five overall, you know, offensive lineman in this draft. His name is Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. Yep. Um, he is 6'3", 290 pounds. He was the Big Ten offensive lineman of the year. He's the Remington Award winner, center, best center in the nation. Um, played 908 snaps last year, only one sack, two quarterback hits. You know, and he plays in the big rough, big and 10, um, so he's great in the running game. Uh, the thing that I really like about him is he has a wrestling background, so he definitely understands mm-hmm. hand usage and leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you put those two together, um, he has all the makes to be a dominant lineman. Um, he, I also think that he has very high football IQ, and he's a guy that loves to you know get out in front of uh, running backs, so he'd be great in a screen game. So us Packers fans, we lose Devontae Adams, so we know that we're getting more receptions to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. The screen game is going to be coming back. So a guy like Tyler Linderbaum would be awesome. Yep. Um, I'm just going to go back to William Dunkel real quick. Um, looking him up on NFL Draft Buzz, he's a 97 on run blocking, a 73 on pass blocking, a 74.4 rating overall. Um, mm-hmm. Ranked number 57 at the position on NFL Draft Buzz. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> grading as an undrafted free agent. The weaknesses are where it kind of becomes a little more clear why he's ranked a little bit lower. The weaknesses listed are heavy-footed and lacks elite lateral ability. So the ability to not be able to move side-to-side quickly. Um, also says here that he needs to work on his technique in pass protection and is susceptible to speed rushers. Um, average quickness off a snap, and he doesn't possess the acceleration or arm length to corral defenders once they cross his face. So that's kind of kind of like I said. I mean, he could be the physical qualities um, even though he's, you know, he could be a solid run blocker, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's the explosiveness, the quickness, the lateral, the lateral ability. Um, that's that's what drops him down. Um, but for me, I think pretty much every single source that I looked up for center had Tyler Linderbaum number one. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much the consensus number one. Six three two ninety. He's a great run blocker. Gets to the second level, like Jake said. He's quick. He's explosive. He's got fluid motions. Um, his athleticism can help him recover if he's getting rushed or blitzed. Um, he's durable. He had 35 straight starts in college, and he's physical, and he finishes blocks. Basically everything you want from an offensive lineman. Yeah, he's going to be really good. <laughs> yeah. There's... Whatever team drafts him in the first round, is he's going to be starting day one. Yep, he's he's that kind of guy. And yep. he'll probably be gone before I pick 22, which makes me kind probably. of sad. Probably. Because but I would not that... be upset. That possible that you know that possibility just increases the chances of a guy like Trevor Penning or Chris Olave falling to twenty two. See, that's what we were trying to tell people, man. You know, when they were overreacting, like this guy's not gonna be, this guy's not gonna be there. How do you Somebody, know? There's only twenty one picks coming before us. Somebody's yes. gonna fall. So seventy people are getting picked before pick twenty two, <laughs> apparently. And it's going to be seven wide receivers and 12 offensive linemen and three edge rushers and two defensive linemen. 
we're, we're only left with corners and tight ends after that. Right. Somebody said, um, like when we we posted our four our four scenarios for the first and second round, and we put two defensive players on there on purpose. We put Jordan Davis on there, who's probably going to go somewhere in the ten to sixteen range. We put him on there, and pe- immediately the first thing is, uh, I'll pick this one because that guy's not going to be available. There are scenarios imaginable now, like the Saints just traded up. They have two picks in the teens. The Eagles have two picks in the teens. Let's say both of them draft a wide receiver. Let's say New England drafts a wide receiver. Five receivers could go before the Packers pick. But it happens. Somebody's going to fall. That somebody could be Trevor Penning. I mean, it's it could be Jordan Davis. I mean, it could be – I mean, I don't see this being the case, but if it's Tyler Linderbaum, like, you know, it's not a huge need, but a guy that good, you can figure out what to do with Josh Myers or Tyler Linderbaum and, and – work these guys into your offensive line hey man Myers missed a lot of time and at the end of the day the Goot and the Packers they take exactly who they want they have they have their draft boards ready and if they think that Linderbaum is day one better than Myers or he can give him some competition they're going to take him it doesn't matter what we say on this podcast and there's 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 tons of options you can explore like let's say let's say they let's say Tyler Linderbaum does fall to 22 uh-huh you just slot him in at center, and you move everybody on the right side down one. And you try Royce yeah. Newman at right tackle and Josh Myers at right guard. Yeah, why not? You, you find out what you got with versatility. So um, I guarantee, you know, when, when the Packers' front office is walking in to the office every morning, I guarantee they're having all of these discussions eight to ten hours a day, every day. Oh, Yeah. Every single day they're having these discussions of, you know, Tyler Lindebaum falls to 22. What do we do with Josh Myers? I guarantee you they're having all of these discussions. Jake and I can do it in an hour and a half every Wednesday. But these guys, this is their job. So Jake and I can give you some information based on information we've gathered from a lot of other sources. And then from Mm -hmm. what we've seen and what we've watched and pass that on. Those guys are doing it ten times the level that Jake and I are because this is their jobs. Hopefully, some Jake and I, they, Jake and I, can get to that level. But it's going to be, you know, it, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of study, and it takes a gigantic dry erase board. That's okay. One. It makes it a little bit easier than writing in pen. You can't erase pen. <laughs> I know, dude. I have like six notebooks going. Like I have one for like our regular show. I have one for bonus episodes. I put draft stuff in its own separate notebook so that it's not in different parts of my my regular week to week notebook. I have mm-hmm. one for like my to do list. I have one for when I'm reading books and stuff like that that I can write notes down in that. Like, I have I have a small notebook that's like this size that I carry in my pocket at work. So if I'm listening to a book while I'm at work, I can write stuff down. I have like thirteen freaking notebooks going at one time. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> um, I only have two notebooks. My life is not as organized as yours. <laughs> uh, so my bonus episode ones where I'm doing my draft special stuff. Because okay. the bonus episodes are a little bit less likely than the weekly episodes, obviously. Um, so let's get back on track here. Uh, my number two center, I have Donovan West out of Arizona State. Um, this guy, he's a good player, man. Um, he plays he plays with instincts. That's the number one thing. Uh, he plays with good good level. He's smooth. Um 
the thing that he, he the only thing that he he struggles in is leverage in in short yardage situations. Um, other than that, he's a very very good player, and he's de- he's somebody as well that could be a very good depth guy, in my opinion. You could take him in a, a day two or day three and just be like, all right, you're either going to compete at guard or center, and we're just going to see what happens. Depth is not a bad thing, by the way. Look at how many injuries the Packers had last year. That's just why Dick and I are doing all of the offensive line positions and not just tackle. Yep. All right. My number two, I have Luke Fortner. Now, he has guard experience, which is worth noting every time it's possible to note versatility. Jake and I are going to do so. So he has guard experience. He was first team all SEC at Kentucky. I'm telling you, bro. Dude, like he's my number three. So, (laughs) okay. I mean, if we're talking about all SEC, like we already mentioned with Charles Cross, that Mississippi State's not the first team you think of. Kentucky is probably the last team in the SEC that you think of for first team all SEC players to be coming from, and that's what Luke Fortner was. So he's six foot six, three hundred pounds. He played thirty six out of thirty six games. So the durability is important. Two years ago, we lost to Tampa Bay because Bakhtiari was out. I mean, it happened again in the 49ers game. It, I personally the think The reason yeah. that I'm glad that Billy Turner is gone because he got eaten alive in both of those games. Yes, he did. Like, yes, depth is important, but I'd rather have those reps going to somebody else who can perform in the playoffs. Well, plus we needed his cap space. That's true. Um, 36 out of 36 games, so the durability is there. Um, he's yep. a good pass blocker. He has high ID. At identifying blitzes, so mm-hmm. to be a solid pass rusher or a solid pass blocking center, I have Luke Fortner at number two. Um, I just want you to take a second and think about a six foot six center. That's huge. That that's huge. that's guard and tackle area height. Yeah. You know, usually your centers are around six two, six four, maybe, but maybe even six six. Yeah. And and at three hundred pounds, he's pretty lean. So he he has good feet. Uh, he's good at pulling, and like Tyler said, the reason that I have him at number three is he can slide over to guard, and he's just as good over there. All right, my number three, I have Cam Jurgens. Uh, he's fast, he's athletic, he could help in the screen game. Jake and I, when we do Packers primer, Aaron Jones is going to be a massive part of this discussion. Yeah. Um, so Cam Jurgens, he's 6'3", 290. He's a little bit more of the prototypical center size. Um, mm-hmm. He's... He's a former tight end, so he understands the pass blocking game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's got strong hands, strong core, which helps for pass protection. So I have Cam Jurgens at number three. Um, he's really solid all the way around as far as physicality is concerned and then um, his high IQ in the passing game. Uh, my number three is Alec Lindstrom out of Boston College. Um, he's a very, very good pass blocker. Uh, very, very good out of his three-point stance. Um, needs to be a little bit more consistent with his hands. But other than that, he's a solid, solid center. All right. My number four is a guy that Jake already talked about. I have him circled as a guy that I'd like to see end up on the Packers. It's Donovan West. So he's 6'4", 300. Uh, he's laterally quick, and he's also played both guard positions. So mm-hmm. that versatility again. Um, he's a high IQ. He's good at identifying angles. So Jake talked about him being good at identifying blitzes and pass protection. Uh, he's good at identifying angles to cut off where pass rushers are going to come from. So if there's a situation where a team shows blitz in the middle and then pulls that linebacker back and they had to have rushers coming on the edge, that he could drop down, let Rodgers step up, 
and be able to give Rodgers a couple extra seconds to throw the ball. That's that's a valuable thing to have. Um, this is so two other things that I want to say. One is just he gets out of his stance quickly, which mm-hmm. as a center is a good thing. This I can't believe you didn't mention this. His college career, he had zero holding penalties. Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. So I have Donovan West number four. All right, my number four is Michael Mayetti out of Missouri. Mayetti, sure. yep. Mayetti, Mayetti. Yep, you're good. Ah, boy, okay. you got one. <laughs> All right. So the only problem I have with this guy is he's six one two ninety. So we already mentioned people throwing around three hundred pounds, but other than that. This guy's a little bit of a mean streak in him. Um, he loves run blocking. He loves getting. He's very good at getting his hands inside and keeping his feet moving and driving the pile. Um, he's not a mauler. Uh, he's not a guy that's just can completely pancake people. But he is good at moving people and creating gaps. So, uh, with that being said, Michael Mietti, uh my number four. All right, dropping down to number five is another guy Jake already talked about, Alec Lindstrom, six three two ninety eight. So he's two time first team all sec so his both of his last two years he was all first team all sec it's a high mm-hmm. iq 36 straight starts so that durability again versatility and durability that's what we want from offensive linemen yep uh he checks both of those baskets ba- baskets what the hell was that baskets <laughs> i don't know what just happened um, it happens man <laughs> so much talking that's what it is but yeah I know. um He's physical, and he finishes his blocks. So I have Alec Lindstrom at number five. All right. Uh, My number five is Doug Kramer out of the University of Illinois, which sounds pretty crazy because Illinois is horrible at football. But they play in the Big Ten, so this guy loves to run block. He's 6'2", 305 pounds. Uh, He's got pretty good feet, pretty good quickness. Uh, He ran a 4.95, so sub-5, second 40 for alignment is good range for me, in my opinion. So he's pretty quick. Um, you know, we talked about centers pulling. Um, this might be a guy that you could throw over throw over at guard. I have not seen him play guard, but, you know, at that size and that quickness, that's what I like at my guard positions. All right. My number six, I have Zach Tom. So he's 6'5", 295. He also has left tackle experience. He's high IQ. He's good in the run game and the passing game. Uh, he does really good at getting to the second level using his athleticism. And he's another guy who was first team all ACC. Okay. Out of Wake Forest. Yep. Um, my number six, I have Chris Owens. I'm pretty sure you just talked about him. But, nope. uh, but go ahead. Uh, Chris Owens is I... a good good player. Uh, Cam, he's, he's out of the football factory of Alabama. So yeah. that's the first thing you got to mention with everybody with Alabama. Um, they, they coach him up right over there. Now, I actually was uh, just talking. This is a little story time here. I was just talking to another merchandiser because I'm a merchandiser for my day job. Um, and they were they made an interesting point about Alabama. I want to know if you agree with it. Um, they talked about how it's kind of like the pros where they kind of coach them up for four years and they get the shit beat out of them basically for four years. So the NFL careers don't last as long. How do you feel about that? You know, I'd have to really look at it and see, you know, what the Alabama guys have done in the NFL, but... I could see that being the case. I mean, I mean, yeah. you could look at it almost as more of like a minor league NFL school than a college school if you wanted to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, also with Chris Owens, 
plays a little high with his pad level. He's a little late off the snap every once in a while, which is crazy because he's the center. But um, he, he flashed the ability to be a good player and a good mover of other human beings. All right. My number seven is a guy who probably could have been higher if I didn't have other guys in his way. But I have Ben Brown at my number seven. 6'5", 315. He's got some experience at right guard, which is useful. He's really strong. He doesn't give to nose tackles. And he's good at getting to the second level. And he has a high IQ. So, honestly, I could have moved him up a bit. Um, he's a guy I can see the Packers, you know, once fourth, fifth round starts getting around, is maybe looking at a guy like Ben Brown. Okay. All right, here's another name. All right, he's out of Duke, by the way. You know, the football powerhouse Duke. So, I went from yeah. Alabama to Duke, which is... A crazy transition, but Jack Wallabaugh. Wallabaugh? That sound pretty good? Yeah. All right. Uh, he ran a 5'3'40", so not super impressive. He doesn't have the hugest hands or the longest arms, but he's a guy that comes in and he, he loves to play football. He plays with a good bend in his legs. Uh, he's a He understands leverage, and he's versatile. Uh, he started games at guard and center in college. Yeah, Wallabaugh, Wallabaugh. Yeah, you're good. You're good. All right. better, baby. Yeah, my number eight, I have Luke Wattenberg. Um, this is a guy who's played center. He's also got experience at left guard and left tackle. Um, he's got really long arms. He's a better run blocker than pass blocker, but at 6'5", 300 pounds, still a big guy. So that's who I have at my number eight. All right. My number eight is a guy at Iowa State. His name is Colin Newell. Um, he's a guy that plays with good center of gravity, and he's, he's good at resetting his hands when stunts come to him. Um, the only thing that, that needs work is his, you know, his power, his ass, as I heard before. His, his, cent, his low center of gravity needs a little bit of work. But other than that, he just once he learns to sit down a little bit, he'll be a good player. All right, these, these are guys, by the way, that are going to be really low in the draft. Yeah. These are the yep. flyer guys. So. Yep. Practice squads. Yep, yep. Prospects. Uh, my number nine, I have Dawson Deaton. He's six foot six, three ten. So he's a really big guy. Um, yep. He's athletic. He's laterally quick. Um, he's a better run blocker than pass blocker. But again, these are lower drafts, uh, lower draft picks. So got a comment here in the comment section that says the team that scares me a lot is the Chiefs. I got a feeling they end up trading up high in this draft to draft all the picks that they have. I mean, the Packers, the Packers can take. Two approaches to this. So if the yep. Packers are like you said, worried about the Chiefs, Packers could trade up first. The pick that the pick that I in my mind I view as the most available is the number eight pick from the Falcons. I could see them being okay with trading back because they have a lot of needs and looking to stock up on picks. Um, so number eight is the the highest that I could see the Packers getting. Um, maybe number thirteen with Houston. The Packers and Houston have done some deals and the other approach they can see is if, say, say the Chiefs went and traded for number what? I think the the Eagles have like eighteen, and they traded for number eighteen. Packers could just turn right around, call Houston, say, "Hey, what do you want for number thirteen? And pick Olavi or Drake London or whoever they wanted to pick number thirteen. So the Packers have the Packers have eleven picks too. So the Packers can move up, and Gutekunst has done it before. So it's not a far stretch of the imagination to think that he could do it again. Agreed. All right, who's your number nine? I have the same one, Dawson Deaton. Um, right. You said all the good points about him. Uh, the one thing that I think he needs to do a little bit better is show that he can dominate people, you know, straight out, straight head on. 
That's the only problem I have with him. Um, in the NFL, I like offensive linemen that talk a lot of shit because you're going to be in you the face. You want a guy that's mean. Yeah, you're going to have a guy that's literally inches from your face. And they're in, in, in it's a dog eat dog world in the NFL, man. You're either gonna you either eat or get eaten. They call it the trenches for a reason. And you know, Dawson, he needs to prove that, you know, he's a dog. So that's all I got on him. All right. So a couple of things. Um, Steve, the Chargers moved from San Diego to LA. Just want to toss that out there. But yes, they are missing picks. They traded for Khalil Mack, so they're missing some picks there. Um San Diego, the LA Chargers at seventeen. Moving mm. from 22 to 17, you're probably going to have to give up probably a third-round pick in addition to number 22. Um, at that point, if you're looking at you're looking at five picks between them and you, and honestly, depending on the guys that are available, unless it's I mean, unless it's Drake London, I personally don't feel the need to trade up to 17. It would mm-hmm. have to be top 15 or higher if I'm if I am the GM, which I'm not, but in my opinion, I'd have to get in to the top 15 if I'm going to trade up. Uh, he said, just listen to ESPN podcast. They said Chiefs can trade up all the way to 11 with 29 and 30. Now, so there's there's two ways to look at that. So the Chiefs are at 29 and 30, so they're right after the Packers. They can move up to 11, but they only get one first-round pick when they do that. This is a super deep draft at a lot of positions, like tackle, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, there's some good edge rushers. I mean, there's there's some really good players in this draft. Having 29 and 30 versus having number 11, I don't know that I would do that. I mean, unless it's a guy that you're like, you. I mean, because you they lost Tyree Kill, right? So you're trying trying to replace him. Yeah, you got you got to be like, all right, our guys here at eleven. Uh, this team, this team, or this team can take him. Uh, let's move up. Let's take our guy and let's just pack up lunch and get out of here. If if it's pick nine and you're looking at pick eleven and Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams are both still on the board, that's the only way I can see that because then you're guaranteed one of those two. Yep, I agree. Man, but Jamison Williams, that'd be a huge flyer for them to trade two fucking picks for a guy that's not might not be ready for day one. Might not be ready till October. That's that's tough. And then he's just coming back in October, so then he might not be really, really ready until December. So that's, you're kind of banking yeah. on just making the playoffs in a, one of the toughest divisions in football. If I, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say conference, I'm going to I'm going to say the toughest division in football in the tougher conference. Oh yeah, one <laughs> of the, yeah um, the tougher conference, tougher and, toughest division, and they're going to need some depth. In my opinion, if I'm the Chiefs, I'm staying at 29 and 30 and getting two good players. I mean, think about it, man. When the Patriots were doing all their stuff with Tom Brady, they were just draft and developing. Look at the Packers for years, draft and developing. Now, when you get a franchise quarterback and you're giving him a quarter of your money, you have to draft and develop and you have to have depth and you have to have just a lot, a roster full of a lot of really, really yep. good players and you have one, a couple great players here and there, right? You're going to hit on some. You're going to get lucky on some, obviously, but... Yeah, to trade up, you know, two picks and get one pick, I just don't see that as a formula for winning for me. Yeah, that's – if I'm trading 29 and 30, I got to be in the top 10. I agree. 100%. All right. My number 10 center, I have Nick Ford. 
Um, the reason he ended up being my number 10 and on my list is because he's played all five offensive line positions. He's strong. He's got long arms, 6'5", 317. All right, my number 10 is also a guy named Nick, but it's Nick Brahms out of Auburn. Um, he's a guy that uh, has the versatility to play guard or center. Um, he is very good inside, good hands. Uh, the problem with him is he lunges a little bit and doesn't have the longest arm. So uh, once he learns to sit back and and uh, you know use all of his power, he's good to go. He is very good at dipping his shoulder and using leverage to create holes, though. And played right. in the SEC, so that was kind of the the knock for me. All right. So, do you have anything else you want to say about offensive linemen? I'm going to say this. Building a good offensive line outside of having a franchise quarterback might be the most important ingredient to having a great offense. Once you have a quarterback, your offensive line is the next thing. A great quarterback can make any any wide receiver look from good to great or great to, like, Hall of Fame level, in my opinion. I agree. And the Packers have one of the best, if not the best, at doing that. Um, we have the best quarterback in the league. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Last year, even after he won MVP, I was like, Mahomes, you know, because what he did in the Super Bowl, I was like, Mahomes is probably still the best quarterback in the league. Now, after having back-to-back MVPs, I'm like, nah, it's over. Rodgers is the best. All right, so we have a one-man category here because we were requested so many times to look up Matt Areza, the punter from San Diego State. Yep. And we were we were watching right before the show, even up to the beginning of the show. I mean, I'm with it if he's available in, like, the sixth round. Like, yeah. I'm with it. Dude, he's, his leg is crazy. Yeah, it is. Like, we're talking 80-yard punt crazy. Like, punting from his own end zone and the ball landing on the 18-yard line. Crazy leg. Yeah. Um, I think you should tell the most important part. The other most important part is that he does kickoffs. And so, he was the kicker. You were getting out of me. Sorry, so sorry, sorry, sorry. this year, you can have him as your punter and doing your kickoffs, and you say, Mason Crosby, it's your last year. Focus on field goals, nothing else. The other thing, Matt Areza doing kicks, like field goal kicking, mm-hmm. like kicking 51 yarders, not just extra points. So this is one of those things where, and this is a completely different sport, but like Shohei Otani popped up into my head, and if you can have a guy on your roster that's your punter, and your kicker, and you can just use your backup quarterback to be your holder, that opens up a roster spot. If you want to go that route. Just throwing it out there. So, I don't know that it's been done where your punter and your kicker have have been the same things. Um, But I know it's not super, it's not unheard of for your punter to do your kickoffs, but to have your punter doing your kickoffs and your field goal kicking... Man, that's Bro, that would be GOAT level stuff. Seriously. That's that would yeah, be GOAT crazy. level stuff. Um couple little tidbits on him. He was the first player in San Diego State history to be named a unanimous first team All American. Um he set the FBS record for single season punt average at fifty one. He had a he had eighteen sixty yard punts, thirty nine fifty yard punts. So, 
on top of having better coverage, you could have a guy that can literally just boom it. You know, and we, we've discussed, you know, kicking in Green Bay is tough. You know, the, the footing, the wind, you know, the cold, how you have to catch, how the ball feels. I mean, but if, you, if you're going to get a guy that can just literally go out there and just boom a punt 60 yards 18 times, I'm okay with that. I know I saw at least one time that he, he had like a 60-yard punt, and then he went and made the tackle. Yeah. And it wasn't because the guy got to the line of scrimmage. It was because Areza went and got him. That's crazy, man. <laughs> wait, 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 Scott is. Are you talking about you know William being undrafted? No, no, no. no. He's talking about Areza. Oh, I was going to seventh round I mean, undrafted. If he's available at the seventh round, and the Packers have a compensatory pick, um, yeah, pick him up. Yeah, I would. I'm. I would be game for that. I. I was, we we got to find out who noted in the, who who said this. We got to find I out would, who said this. Uh, I would seriously consider him in the sixth round, definitely in the seventh round. Oh, I agree, Scott. That's why I brought up the even weather if, thing. Even if you take 10 yards off of his punts and then he's only punting 60 yards instead of 70 or 80. Yeah, okay, that's still good in the NFL, <laughs> agreed. But, I mean, so, even I want- even if he was punting it in, in warm weather, right? In the NFL, you're going to have to play in cold weather eventually, so he's going to get you, He's gonna have to do it eventually. So. Right. And probably more than once in a season. So why not do it for eight games, nine games a year? So I want to address this question because I think it's a good one. Um, we were just we were just discussing about Jamison Williams mm-hmm. being a potential top fifteen pick. Now we we also mentioned the earliest estimates that I've seen are this was from Jamison Williams personally with his um, recovery schedule is that he could be back as early as August around October. So he said five to seven months. This tweet that he put out was a little over two weeks ago. He said five to seven months, which would be August to October. Now, if the Packers are at 22 and Jamison Williams is there, yes, I feel comfortable drafting him. Two mm-hmm. reasons. One, the Packers have another first-round pick. Mm-hmm. So they could spend that on whatever they wanted. Two, yep. this is a deep wide receiver draft. Jamison Williams, if healthy, all last season is possibly the number one overall wide receiver in this draft and then like i said packers also have another first round pick and it's a deep wide receiver draft so packers could go with um jameson williams at 22 pick whoever they want at 28 pick whoever they want in the first round or their first pick of the second round grab alex Mm -hmm. pierce alec pierce in the second round draft khalil shakir in the third of the fourth round draft Romeo Dubs in the fifth round and still have a stable of wide receivers to potentially battle for playing time with Jamison Williams waiting in the wing. Dude, there's, I mean, we talked about wide receivers a lot last week, but there's just so many options. And, you know, I brought up Donald Driver today because you just never know when a wide receiver is going to hit. You don't know which guy is going to be the hardest worker, um, who's going to have that mindset. So, just because we draft one in the first round doesn't mean that they're going to be studs. I definitely want us to draft one in the first round just to, you know, kind of make Rodgers a little bit happy. That's part of it. Yep. But there's a lot of guys, man. Uh, me and Tyler both have different favorites. Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping that, you know, my guy is projected to go in the first round. So I'm hoping we get him at 28. And then I'm hoping, you know, with our pick 53, I believe it is, or 55, um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we take Alec Pierce with that pick so that both of our boys can be on there and we can just go crazy, man. <laughs> I think he's going to be a legit number one wide receiver long term. Oh, yeah. 
I think James. I think Jameson Williams is all of that, dude. Jameson Williams is a stud, and he he has a track background. I mean, I talked about it last week. He has a track background, so like, he's one of those guys. And this is kind of a joke that I've said with a couple of my other buddies. He makes fast people look not fast. That's how fast that guy is. He's fast. Oh, you like Dotson? Me and Tyler aren't high on Dotson, but we are really, really high on Olave. He was actually yep. my number one wide receiver. Yep, I had him fourth after Wilson, London, and Jamison Williams. I love London too, dude. Oh if we're God. if we're at twenty two and Olave and Jamison Williams are available, who do you pick? Right now, well, I'm going to take Olave. He's ready day one. Yeah, that's I agree. Jalen Naylor actually, he was like my number like fifteen, I think, wide receiver. Yeah, you yeah, liked him number, a lot. Yeah, he was my number fifteen. He had a really high RAS score, good hands, good route running. Um, good speed. Yeah, I had Jalen Naylor, uh, number fifteen, and yes, yeah, there's, there's tons, tons of wide receivers. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, we just need to get a couple guys that understand positioning or route running because Aaron Rodgers is going to put it on a spot. And, and Aaron Rodgers can throw guys open. Uh, Christian oh. Watson, I had a number five. His Christian combination Watson. of size and speed is insane. Um, Four three at six five. <laughs> the other thing that Jake and I have have been in agreement on is we think the Packers are going to draft two wide receivers and Mm -hmm. then after the draft passes that they're going to look to bring in a veteran whether it's a free agent or a trade but they're going to look to bring in a veteran that has a complementary skill set to the guys that they draft if they do this if they trade for a wide receiver now they're kind of handcuffing themselves if they say they traded for say they traded for DK Metcalf just for an example now you're, you're not going to want to necessarily draft a, a fast, big, physical wide receiver. You're going to be looking for slot guys. You're going to look, be looking for good run-blocking guys. Whereas, possession guys. Yeah, possession receivers versus if you go into the draft, pick the wide receivers that you want, then you can get guys to fill in around them. I called Olave the best route runner, in my opinion. He's the best combination of route running and hands in this draft. Although, Garrett Wilson is very good. Yeah. Garrett Wilson and Olave are very, very, very good. Watson also returned. Yeah, we there's talked a bunch about of guys. There's a bunch of guys in this wide receiver in this draft that do returns. Romeo Dubs is one. Uh, uh, Justin Ross is one. I kind of um, want us to get Dubs, dude. He has such a sick name. I know he has a cool, <laughs> He's yeah. such a sick name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got anything else football related? No, let's get sad. Let's talk baseball. I mean, at least it ends on a happy note. So, I mean, we got that going for us. And actually, True. the Brewers game probably just started. Yeah. As long as oh. they don't cry. Like, oh, my God. As long as they don't. So, it's four minutes after the game was scheduled to start. Let's. <laughs> Did you see what happened with Garrett uh, Garrett Cole? No, what happened? Garrett Cole was whining about a game starting late by four minutes. Are you serious? And he said the, the late start affected him. Four minutes. Oh, my God. <sighs> All right. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Brewers-Cubs series. Um, I'm just... Uh, just I'm just going to keep saying it. Put a damn roof on your stadium. It's annoying that you play in the Windy City where it's always rainy in April. Like, put a damn roof on your stadium. Get a retractable one. You can open it up when it's nice. You can close it. That way you don't have to cancel games or play in really crappy conditions like game one. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> uh, it, 
was very annoying that we lost to the Cubs because both of the receivers and grocery managers that I had to deal with at my festival this weekend are Cubs fans. So that was really annoying because I was wearing my Brewers shirt one of the days. Um, so thank you, Milwaukee, for that. Uh, the freaking Cubs, man. I can't believe we lost the series of the Cubs. And game two was so freaking 9-0 to, to the fucking Cubs. Are you kidding me, bro? Are you kidding me? Oh, man, I talked all that shit. <sighs> and our two guys, our top two guys. I will say this. Um, not that I like really making a ton of excuses of for them. professional athletes. I'm just going to throw this out there. It did. Um, but, you know, they've had about a month less of time, you know, to, you know, really get ready for stuff. So mm-hmm. um, the fielding was a problem in game two. It was kind of a problem. You know, it's still kind of a problem now. But, I mean, I feel like they're starting to get a little bit better. I mean, last night watching that game, it was like, okay, they're starting yep. to get – the rhythm is starting to go. They're starting to get oiled up. I mean, they're, yep. they're getting better. The hitting the hitting got a little bit better. It's the bottom of the first right now. It looks like the Brewers did not register a hit in the top of the first. Um, I, was, I just wanted to check that to make sure. Um, but, you know, it's early. Game just started. Yep. Um, we won game one, 5-4. to four. Lost game two, 9-0. to zero. Only had four hits in that game. And Woody really had a bad outing. Um, the thing that bothered me, I know he had 40 pitches in that, in that first inning. And why I brought up the fielding is he was at about, I think it was a 30 or 31. I don't remember exactly. But then there was a routine ground ball to Colton Wong. In my opinion, Colton Wong, a lot of stuff is routine for Colton Wong because he's very slick with the glove. Um, he should have been gold glove last take... year. The fact that he wasn't last year still pisses me off. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, the ball takes weird bounces every once in a while. But, you know, I pitch 30 or 31, the ball comes right to him, goes in his glove, and just rolls up his arm. And it's like... Uh, this game makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> it feels That's like we're still in the last week of spring training. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Walking up 0-0. Zero, zero. Yep. Well, uh, we won the last game. Peralta looked pretty good, in my opinion. The bullpen has been solid outside of Ashby day one and Gustave in the second game. But other than that, I mean, I have no issues. And I cannot wait till we get to... Till you get to your Devin Williams take when he had the bases loaded. Yeah, that's good stuff. I can't wait for that. All right, so game one against the Cubs. Actually, this is going to be an echo that I, I go through all of them, but um, the the Brewers. So, Kervin Burns struggling with his cutter. Uh, five of his first 17 cutters were strikes, 12 balls. Um, looking at that, you know, it's, it's it feels like they're still in the last week of spring training and, and just kind of getting into the groove. Um, mm-hmm. So, maybe we'll see – Second time through the rotation, they, you know, this could end up being their worst stretch as the rotation is concerned for the entire season. I mean, it'll probably end up being Brandon Woodruff's worst start of the year. His two-seamer was kind of struggling on him. Um, he had one strike out of 22 two-seamers that he threw. Yeah, that's bad. Whether it's the weather or whether it's the shortened spring training, these guys are all dominant pitchers. I'm willing to give them more than one start before I say the Brewers' pitching has fallen off. Mm-hmm. That's a ridiculous take. Now we're gonna get we're gonna get to the the hitting part of it too. But Brewers sixteen swings and misses for Kyle Hendricks. The slower pitching speeds, it's it messes people up. Brent Suter he has made a living off of being a slower pitcher, but painting corners and changing speeds on guys. Um, that being said, I just want to pat myself on the back with for Andrew McCutcheon. Um, he started two for two in the opener, and then his third hit was an absolute rocket to center field. Um, 
you know, the top of the order was getting the job done. They kind of made a comeback, but um, Aaron Ashby had a solid uh, a solid outing, but was responsible for the runner left on third base. Um, Cousins just got behind in some counts and ended up hurting him. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, opening day all around just kind of felt sloppy, just echoing the weather, just felt sloppy. Um, Agreed. Game two was canceled because, you know, Chicago doesn't plan for the weather, even though they live in a freaking city that has wind and rain all the time. Uh, so that game was moved to a doubleheader on May 30th. Then you get to Brandon Woodruff's first start. Like I said, he, he struggled with his two-seamer, and then you get to the batting. Four hits, ten strikeouts. You just move on. Um, got to see some other some other bullpen guys get some work. Urena, Gott, Hobie Milner, Yandel Gustave. Um, and then Andrew McCutcheon talking about his hit-by-pitch. So Jake and I are going to discuss unwritten rules when we do our bonus episode on Friday night. And hitting guys with pitches. So he knew it was coming. Wilson Contreras got hit earlier in the in the game. And, you know, the Cubs were going to throw back at one of the Brewers. And they picked Andrew McCutcheon for some reason, even though he's only been here for three games at this point. Yeah, for real. And so what he does, the first thing he does is he throws a slider for a strike, and then he hits him. Like, if you're going to hit somebody, just do it right away. So yeah, they... first pitch. Just get it out yeah. of the way. Make sure so, it's not fucking 100 miles an hour or at his head. What Andrew McCutcheon brought up was a pitch that he got hit by in 2014 actually broke one of his ribs. So that's he was a little bit frustrated by when the hit-by-pitch came. Not because it came, but when. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's you know that's something. But... Um, I posted the meme of the Joker, and I said, you know, people lose two games at the beginning of the season. Everyone loses their minds. The The number of people that I saw, like, jumping ship after two games. Oh, my God. Two games makes up 1.2% of the season. Yeah. The Braves started 0-4 last year, and people were freaking out about 0-2. Like a few years of regular season success and a couple of playoff runs, and all of a sudden Brewers fans just in just insanely spoiled with ridiculously high expectations. Like, don't do that to yourself. Like, have some perspective. Take a step back. Come watch the Wisco Fanatics show. We'll calm you down. Yeah, seriously. So already I saw people being like, "Move Yelich down in the lineup after game two. He's actually move Yelich down in the lineup. Stop with that. If anything, move him up. He's hitting for contact. He's on a four-game hitting streak now, and he's reached base in all five games up until tonight. Yeah, I thought he's playing pretty good, in my opinion. He's batting like three thirty-three. I think. Like, people need to chill out. Imagine if he bats three thirty-three for 162 games. I bet people won't be saying move him down the lineup then. People need to just calm down. You know what two games in Major League Baseball equates to in – in baseball, in football, like two and a half minutes of one quarter. Yeah. Like, you just got to just calm down. There is a massive sample size in baseball. Do not yeah. compare two games to the other 160 that are still to come. Right. Do not compare one start by Burns or Woodruff or Peralta or Hauser, who all struggled with walks, and compared to the other 30 starts that they're all going to make this season. 
I actually uh, I have a stat for you, Scott, on the two out walks. On the um, two I texted out walks. It, yeah. I texted it to Tyler yesterday uh, during during the game. We were watching and talking. Uh, Fourteen of the twenty-six runs the Brewers have given up. You know, they didn't even give up a run after this point. After I heard the stat, were after a two out walk. So walks hurt you no matter what, but a two out walk. For, uh, I mean, it just gives teams confidence. Like, oh, okay, this guy's coming up. Now this guy's coming up. We can extend this inning. Yep. Uh, we we got a guy on base. Uh, let's let's see if we can get a bloop and a blast or something like that. That's just how baseball works, man. And Yelich definitely isn't the problem. Yeah. So it's it's really collective. I have a, a stat that actually highlights one of the problems. So the Brewers in the two zero game they lost to the Orioles. Um, Hauser had three walks, ended up hurting him. Um, Aaron Ashby was actually a bright spot of this game. Uh, pitched three and a third, only gave up two hits, had the two walks, and four strikeouts. Now, this is this is weird because he had Andrew McCutcheon leading off the game, which is kind of weird, but, you know, whatever, let's have it. Um, this is where a lot of people are complaining the Brewers can't hit. The Brewers had the same number of hits as the Orioles in that 2 nothing game. They just couldn't string them together. Mm-hmm. They just can't put them together. They can't stack hits on hits. It's all like one hit this inning and then a ground into a double play, and then a hit and a walk, and then you know a couple flyouts and a strikeout or something like that. So the Brewers, up until that 2-0 game that they lost mm-hmm. to the Orioles, were 2 for 22 with runners in scoring position. Yeah. That's rough. Um, that's, that's rough. The law of averages will tell you that that number will get better, and the Brewers won a game since then, so they, they won yesterday. Um Yesterday, Eric Lower was actually pretty good outside of really just one hit, and Cedric Mullins needs to chill. He's playing really well. Good for him, but he needs to chill. Play well next series. Um, he was responsible for all of the Orioles' runs yesterday, and he hit a two out or a two uh, a double in the, was that the ninth inning, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so he needs to chill out. Off hater, he smoked that son <laughs> bitch. I thought it was gone, dude. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what happens. High velocity in, high velocity out. Um, yep. So he looks real good. Um, Brewers, just the team command hasn't been great to start the game uh, or to start the season. Six walks as a team. Um, liked a lot of things that I saw from the bullpen here. Jake Cousins, he got himself into a jam, worked a strikeout with a 95 yep. and 96 mile an hour fastball. Next batter. Three straight sliders, all at 82 miles an hour. A guy that can change speeds that drastically is crazy. To go from Bro. a 95 or 96 mile an hour fastball down to an 82 mile an hour slider, and his slider, like if my screen is the strike zone, like his slider goes like. Bro, that last one was disgusting, <laughs> and I t- and I texted this to you. I was like, that last one shows me that that guy did not know it was coming. He had. Absolutely no idea. Oh my god, my girlfriend's on the comments. Sounded like a fool. Here we go. Okay. Uh, yeah, she's getting bored up there, people. Oh, I didn't, oh, oh, look at that. That's uh, uh, oh, displayed that on the screen and everything. Hey, Tyler, <laughs> that's your fault. That you Why? are the one that pushed me over there that that's, night. Okay. That's true. Everything that I deal with with her, I go like, man, god damn it, Tyler. I just blame you. I yell at you all the time. Like, man, fucking Tyler. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, you can you could say that I am directly responsible for the life of your daughter, too. 
Bro, you are. I said that. I I told my girlfriend that we we had to stay a week in the hospital. Uh, my daughter was born prematurely and she had jaundice, and they just wanted to make sure because she was so small and she was breathing correctly and stuff. And you know, one of the days I was just like, "Man, all this happened because Tyler pushed me towards you. That's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Cece. You're welcome, Jake. You know, I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> hey, that's why you're gonna be the best man of my wedding, man. Uh, but I do agree. I mean, Jake is sexy. Look at that beard. Oh no! I shaved it because man, it, was, it was. I ruined. I was. I was trying to clean up the other day, man, and I ruined the line. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I ruined the line. Chin strap. Just got rid of the mustache. Go chin strap. Go full douche. Bro, one day I'm gonna do just mustache. I have never seen a dude that has a chin strap have a really nice personality. <laughs> oh man they always wear striped shirts is that a thing they always wear striped shirts i feel like i, I feel like every time i've seen I somebody like if with... you have a, if you have just a chin strap that you wear khaki shorts with like calf length nike socks and slide sandals <laughs> <laughs> oh god don't <laughs> that might, we're looking true. for clips of the show to cut out later this week that's gonna be the first one all right so after jake cousins gets his strikeouts um devin williams comes in in the eighth loads the bases with a hit and two walks chris hook comes out and visits with devin williams calms him down bases loaded nobody out devin williams throws 11 pitches he throws nine strikes seven swing and misses and three strikeouts in 11 pitches. Bro, that dude literally, he got talked to by the coach, and he's just like, okay, fucking bet, dude. And he went Super Saiyan, and he went fucking nuts. I was just like, it's like, why didn't you just do that? He he went like, he was like, he was Jacob Barnes. I hated Jacob Barnes when he was on the Brewers. Like, I, I swear, every time he pitched, he threw a 95 mile an hour fastball right down the middle of the plate that got hit for a home run every time he appeared in a game. I swear to God. So, yeah. Devin Williams is out here doing his Jacob Barnes impression. Chris Hook comes out and visits with him, and he goes, you are Devin Williams. You are the 2020 NL Rookie of the Year and the NL Reliever of the Year. And he's like, oh, shit, you're right. I am Devin Williams. And he throws 11 pitches, nine strikes, seven swing and misses, three strikeouts. I got to say, I, li- I like the, the hair. The hair is looking pretty swaggy in my opinion. He looks kind of cold-blooded out there. And, yeah, Devin Williams, you have that changeup and that fastball. Come on, man. Just just settle in. Yeah, don't throw any more cutters. Like, he yeah, tried he, it. <laughs> yeah, he th- he's throwing really bad, too. It's like, ugh. He did not even get do close it when to there's, spot. Do it when there's two outs and nobody on base. Then try your cutter out. And and, and you haven't worked in a couple days and we're up 7-1. to one. That's the time to work on your cutter. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then, you know, he's got that balance of, of fastball changeup. So, like, we were just talking with um with Jake Cousins, who can throw a 95-96 mile-an-hour fastball and an 82-mile-an-hour slider. Devin Williams is the same thing. He throws a 95, 96, 97 mile an hour fastball and then an 80 mile an hour changeup that and goes it was, like. Yeah. <laughs> you just have like, no idea what to do with it. Good luck anticipating 97 and then seeing a pitch that comes at you 17 Ooh. miles an hour slower and drops right as it gets to you. Scott, who got the hit? I'm guessing it's Rowdy because he said Rowdy's a beast. Oh, that is context clues, baby. I like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, 
bats are coming around. Yelich, like I said, four-game hitting streak has reached in every game. Um, Bruce had nine hits. They just got to keep putting them together. That's that's yep. all I got as, as far as um, the games they've played so far. Yep, yep I agree. Um, the offense will come around, I think. I think, you know, we added enough bats, and I think they'll definitely look to add more. That's what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. The yep. pitching, though, everybody needs to relax. The pitching will settle in. We are we have way too training. many arms. Yeah. Way too many arms. That and plays perfectly into what we're going to talk about next, so continue. The last thing I'm going to say, it is fucking April. Relax. <laughs> it's fucking April, okay? Just relax. Settle the f- down. The Bucks. I literally said this to Tyler. The Bucks started the season under 500 as the defending champs. And now look at the playoffs. They are probably the favorite, if not, you know, because, you know, I think Vegas, they're like third. Because like, um, Vegas is really gay. And sometimes they put the net, for some reason, they put the nets above us. I have no idea why. But it's, it's like Phoenix, and then I think the Heat and the Bucks are even at like plus 700. Yeah. Well, Rowdy scored from second, ran through a stop sign up 2 0. At a baby. And Bruce, that's, hey, I, that's ballsy. Especially <laughs> for Rowdy. So this has nothing to do with anything, but I played the show and I played I played a game online. Dude, Rowdy has like nine speed. Nine? He's nine. <laughs> it's bad. Nine. Yikes. And bro, I smashed a horn with it. It went it went like almost five hundred feet. It was perfect timing, power swing. Bah! I crushed the White Sox. But anyways. Sixteen nineteen. James, that's a good point. Celtics started sixteen and nineteen. Like I mentioned, the Braves started 0 and four last year and won the World Series. Like, calm. Down. If it gets to Memorial Day and the Brewers are twenty games under five hundred, then yeah, I'd hit the panic button. Yeah, I agree. But it's way too early. Agreed. And we haven't even mentioned this yet. Luis Urias hasn't even stepped on the field yet. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. I was. I knew you were gonna bring up your boy, man. I was like, Ty was gonna bring up Urias. All right. So his brother actually plays for the Orioles. That's. Uh... I know. I saw the Brett Suter. You know, Twitter account or whatever was talking about. If if Luis's brother walks us off, I'm deleting Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so coming up for the Brewers after tonight's game, they start their first homestand. It's a seven-game homestand against four-game series against the uh, Cardinals and then a three-game series against the Pirates. Um, looking at the Cardinals series, um, tomorrow is 4-1-4 day, so they're starting at 4-14. Brandon Woodruff's going to be the starter for that one. Um, Craig Council announced the starters through the weekend. So the four-game series of the Cardinals, the starters are going to be Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Adrian Hauerser, and then on Sunday, Aaron Ashby is starting. So I like, love Ashby. I think he I do. I do too. He's going to be so oh my god. He's going to be so good. He's a his slider. His slider's oh. nice, bro. He's got a nice slider. Fast. Dude, he throws a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He's like Josh Hader if he had become a starter like he was going to instead of moving him to the closer role. Dude, Josh Hader as a starter would have been nasty, I think. That's what he came in as. <laughs> yeah. Ruiz moved him to the bullpen. Um, Yeah, we'll see what happens with Urias. I'm not – I mean, the updates haven't come in a lot, but the ones that have come in is that he's coming along slowly, um, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's early in the season. Bring him on slowly. I'd much rather have that than risk a longer-term injury. But that's what we got to look forward to. Woodruff, Peralta, Hauser, and Ashby against the Cardinals. Get some division wins against the Cardinals and the Pirates. And we'll hopefully finish out the one tonight against the Orioles. You got anything yes, else? Sir. No, man. Um, 
This is going to sound crazy, but I haven't seen the new Spider-Man yet, and I got it out of the red box. So oh, look I'm at gonna, this guy. I'm going to watch some Brewers and then going to watch some uh, some new Spider-Man, baby. So then we can finally talk about it. I've been telling all my friends, <laughs> don't say a damn word. <laughs> don't say a word. All right. um, I got Courtney going through all of the Marvel movies, so we just watched Captain America, so we're probably going to start Thor tonight. There but, you go. All right. Don't forget, next Thursday night is going to be the Packers draft special live show at the Keel Parker Johns. And if you have any potential rule changes that you would like discussed, that you don't like, uh, any of that stuff, let us know. You can message us, comment on stuff. Um, and if you're close to Keel, come see us live next Thursday and meet up with us and hang out with us and get some good food. Yes, sir. All right. Um, also, Scott, the answer is Chicago. It's always fucking Chicago. Fuck Chicago. Yeah, definitely Chicago. I at least respect the Cardinals, even though I don't like them. Me too. I respect the Cardinals. The Cubs, they literally could get their season canceled, and I would laugh my ass off because fuck them guys. I'm I'm this close. Like, I am this close to disliking the Dodgers more than I dislike the Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I at least respect the Cardinals. I have no respect for the Dodgers franchise. I agree. Literally I agree. none. I agree. They're, they're the new Yankees. And the Yankees are just as bad, but that that's more their fan base than their franchise that irritates me. Yeah, I agree. All right, <laughs> All man. Right. I will see you Friday night. All right, see you Friday, buddy. Peace out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.